Hi-ho, and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's that masterpiece known as The Muppet Christmas Carol. Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film miniseries topic, we cover six films that fit a C for classic, I for indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, and it feels like Christmas! <laughs> uh, hello, I am Brian, and I, I definitely didn't get done crying about 20 minutes ago after watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be getting your, uh, Brian's fresh opinions, yes, about uh, this particular movie, as he had not seen it or a lot of Muppet movies prior to, you know, entering my sphere. You know, if you're, if you're in that camp and you haven't seen any Muppet things, I'm gonna force you to do that at some point. <laughs> um, but you know, there's a lot to talk about with this particular movie, The Muppet Christmas Carol, which will be our M for masterpiece episode for our Disney series. And uh, before we get into any of like the Muppet stuff, this particular movie, anything like that. Brian, you've told me before, and you said maybe on like some Patreon recordings and stuff, um, you didn't grow up much of a Christmas person or a holiday person in general. Not really. Not in terms of movies, really. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, like, you know, we celebrated Christmas and everything, but like Christmas movies were never really a part of that. Like I never watched any of the Christmas carols or It's a Wonderful Life. I like would catch Home Alone on TV every once in a while, but not really, which is kind of ironic because I love Christmas. It's my favorite like time of the year. I love the winter. I love like all that stuff. And um, yeah, but I just was never exposed to a lot of Christmas movies. And it's very interesting to get to this movie in particular because like A Christmas Carol, there's been so many versions of it and there's just so many like different variations on that story but it's and so it's interesting to get to the muppet christmas carol which is uh yeah i mean the, the, you have told me before though like that this is uh, a story you love a lot right oh for sure yeah with a christmas carol. i mean in general i was also like i was very much raised a christmas person very much in terms of specifically the movie angle of it this movie was probably a big reason for that but mm -hmm. you know in general my household like we watched a christmas story every year um, right. Until I personally got really burned out on it, um, and I haven't watched it in a couple years. Um, but you know, uh, the, just the the whole like Christmas in the movies kind of feel. I just truly love, especially just being a Florida kid, where like we yeah. never really experienced a white Christmas in my hometown. So it was definitely just like, wow, I'm transported instead of like going outside and it being like 75 degrees or whatever. And yeah, no... and everyone's like, oh, it's cold outside. <laughs> right. Oh, I need a scarf. I need to, for, for out here. But, yeah, so Christmas Carol in particular, though, I remember when I was younger, I just loved that story. I think it was not this movie, but, like, the Mickey Christmas Carol, which is the short that um, was very sort of, like, circulated. Uh, that I watched a lot. And then, you know, just sitcoms would do their episodes that are, like, a Christmas Carol-based. Right, of course. Some people have the whole thing of, like, oh, any 
Shakespeare story. I'll watch any version of Hamlet mm-hmm. or whatever. I am like that with A Christmas Carol. Like, I'll watch any version of this story. And I, I tend to, especially like every Christmas, kind of seek out ones I haven't seen before, even before this episode. I decided, like, you know what? I, I've seen plenty of Muppet stuff. So how about, like, I dig into some A Christmas Carol adaptations I hadn't seen before. Like, I recently watched the uh, 1999 TV movie that starred Patrick Stewart. Right. Which was pretty solid version of it. I found out that he apparently did it as a one-man show originally, which I would kill to see that. Yeah, Just like him playing great. all of the parts on a stage. Yeah. <laughs> sounds fucking killer. Along with that, I also watched, um, just, I've, I've watched the worst one, I think. Like, the bottom. Oh, okay. Me, which is the, uh, 2022, uh, Apple original starring Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, Spirited. Which, I wasn't even aware oh, it was for, a Christmas okay. Carol adaptation. Until I was doing research. I knew that came out. I'm like, oh, that sounds like bullshit. And then I watched it. I'm like, oh, this is even more bullshit than I could possibly imagine. Because it is a musical, which I didn't realize either. Um, okay. From Pasek and Paul, the like La La Land and Dear Evan Hansen guys wrote the songs. Um, but it's like they totally, the Santa Claus, a Christmas Carol, where like Will Ferrell is the ghost of Christmas present who like works for like as part of like a company where it's like Jacob Marley and christmas past and christmas future they all like work in an office and like every year they have to do a christmas carol to some like asshole dude and ryan reynolds <laughs> is their pick for that particular year and then spoilers for this year old movie that no one has seen because it's an apple original um <laughs> it turns out that like while he's trying to christmas carol ryan reynolds ryan reynolds ends up flipping the script because you know he's aware he's in the christmas oh, carol Jesus. um and he's like well what about you like this story should be about you it's not about it hasn't been about me in so long because it turns out Will Ferrell's character was Scrooge. Okay. <laughs> and then apparently he died a month after A Christmas Carol. So then he becomes the ghost of Christmas present, which he's been for like over two centuries. And the movie ends up becoming about like, oh, Will Ferrell, you need to like, because you know, in, in this world, if whenever he retires, he can go back to the world of the living and become like an actual person. And he ends up wanting to do that because he falls in love with Octavia Spencer, who plays the secretary for Ryan Reynolds. And it's so bad. I fucking couldn't stand this bullshit. And on paper, it's like subversive Christmas Carol movie. It's kind of funny. that has like some musical bits in it. Tracy Morgan is the voice of the Christmas future. Who's upset that he has to keep pointing at things, which is probably the best part of the movie. That's funny. That's like, funny. I want to do more than point at things, uh, which is like a cute bit. Uh, but yeah, that one, even as someone who loves this kind of shit, I was just like, how fucking dare you? And not even like in a sacred way, with like a Christmas carol or whatever. Do whatever the fuck you want. It's a story that's over 200 years old. Right. Do whatever the fuck you want with it. But it, it's trying to be cloyingly sincere, but also it's trying to like be subversive at the same time with all this stuff. Right. It's got that Ryan Reynolds energy, I assume. Right. And it's over two hours long. Oh, Jesus. And it's like, there are so many points. I'm like, guys, end this. End this. For the love of God, end it. I was literally just like, by the end of it, like, Scrooge with the future, like, spirit, show me no more. <laughs> are these images things of what has been or what can be changed? Can I make this get off Apple Plus? Can I, like, fucking erase it from existence? Yeah, I've I never watched that. I saw that it was like promoted on Apple for like a week and I was like not going to watch that because I I don't like Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell's very hit or miss. I I did not know it was a Christmas Carol like riff. Well, now um, I've sold you on it with all that. And, yeah, no, I'll never you. watch it. <laughs> 
Um, but I know, so you aren't as big on it, but I know you've seen at least like a couple versions of the story, right? You're aware. Yeah, I think I'm just sort of like you. I think, like you said, like aware of the story just through like every show, every cartoon has done like some, you know, spoof on A Christmas Carol mm-hmm. in some way. And like, I, I mainly, I weirdly enough, I have seen the Robert Zemeckis A Christmas Carol like multiple times. I don't remember Sorry, why. I think it was right. Yes. And I, I rewatched it for this episode because I was like, it's the Disney miniseries. They made a Christmas Carol. So let's revisit it. And I hadn't seen it in like probably since it came out. And um, that one's not a bad movie. I will say like it's Robert Zemeckis's animation era is a, is a different discussion altogether. But like, I don't mind that version of the story. Like, like I understand what you kind of love about the story. There's something so inherently like beautiful about it where like, I don't even love the Jim Carrey A Christmas Carol, but like when he, you know, wakes up and is like the nice version of Scrooge, like it does, it gets me. It makes me like just cry because there's just something inherently like just so beautiful about the story. Um, right. Just that whole idea of like redemption and fighting, right. but even like the stingiest, miserliest person possible. It gives you some hope that like, oh, you know, there's like a way that you can change if you actually look back at your life, which of course we all know when, if you did this to a rich person, that would totally happen and they would yeah. not be awful. Like, I don't know, where's Elon's A Christmas Carol? Oh God. Yeah. He's going to be, be visited by three ghosts for, they're going to talk to him about Twitter, about X. <laughs> <laughs> the ghost of blue check marks past, present and future. Like I also read like the actual novella when I was mm-hmm. younger and I was especially interested because, like, you mentioned the uh, Zemeckis version. That one is actually a bit more faithful than a lot of other versions. That's like, what I've the whole heard, thing right? With, like, uh, want and, uh, what is it? It's like want and uh, ignorance, the two kids that are underneath yes. Tessin's cloak. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Um, but not a lot of versions have that particular thing. I don't love the Zemeckis version of anything else because, like, it'll have these, like, very faithful moments and then do just, like, dumb Zemeckis shit, like when the Ghost yeah. of Christmas present. Is like, oh, let's go over to c- Come and Know Me Better Man. Then we're do like a fucking theme park ride where yeah. like, the fucking room is moving around. Like, fuck off. This is dumb. It's, and having Carrie be all three versions of the ghosts is a very interesting choice. Yeah. Because I don't think he's bad as Scrooge. And I actually kind of like elements of his performance, um, even if it is definitely a Jim Carrey performance. But. Um, yeah, it's not a bad movie, and, like, despite a lot of the CGI ugliness that it definitely has, like, I I don't know, there, there, there's enough there, and I think just the inherent kind of beauty of the story, and also just the Christmas spirit, I think just kind of, like, I don't know, I don't hate that movie. I'm not as huge on that particular, the Carrie version, nothing else, because I don't think it's actually a problem with, like, Carrie as Scrooge, I like that design of him. It's like yeah. the miser, like he fits kind of perfectly with that. It's like everyone else around him is so dead inside, <laughs> like, and, and that's really harmful, especially with like a Bob Cratchit and his family, where it's like that's the like sort of emotional tug and pull of the whole yeah. story, and they all look like such fucking zombies. Yeah, it's the yeah, it's the really like bad thing about that movie is just it, the people look so un natural and like very creepy that's a way it's a weird movie um yeah yeah i mean i would say my sort of favorite christmas carols though of like the adaptations would probably be like there's if you want your classic scrooge i'd recommend like the scrooge from 1951 
which stars Alistair Sim. That's kind of like the perfect, very standard version. Like right. Victorian London, very faithful, all the other stuff. Uh, there's the Richard Williams version, the short, which is great. The animated short from the 70s. Uh, then the Doctor Who one with Matt Smith and Michael Gambon. Right. Which is like my favorite like Doctor Who anything, honestly. I think it's such a great version of that story. And then my favorite is the George C. Scott one from the 80s. Right. He's my favorite Scrooge. I think he just does it so perfectly. Um, but there's a, there's another one that we're going to talk about in more detail that I would put amongst that, that upper echelon. So why don't we go ahead and jump into it? Let's jump into The Muppet Christmas Carol. Coming soon on video cassette, Walt Disney Pictures presents a Jim Henson production of a classic Christmas tale. Ah, humbug. He's the world's greediest man. It's Ebenezer Scrooge. Until the magical night he meets someone extraordinary. Hello. It's Charles Dickens' classic tale, Whoa. as only the Muppets can tell it. It's good to be heckling again. It's good to be doing anything again. Stuffed with holiday warmth and cheer. Just a season to be jolly and joyous. This is the movie to see, to share, to cherish with someone you love. Thank you for making me a part of this. Coming to video cassette this fall, it's the Muppet Christmas Carol. God bless us, everyone. Whatever. So, uh, The Muppet Christmas Carol came out December 11th, 1992, uh, directed by Brian Henson, who was, of course, the son of Jim Henson, the guy who created all the Muppet stuff. And this is notable as uh, the first major production without Jim Henson, who had passed away in 1990, um, and also without Richard Hunt, who was one of the principal performers who died earlier in 92. Uh, he's was the guy who did, like, he was Beaker, he was oh, Waldorf. Okay. Uh, Scooter is, was probably like his main character, the guy with the glasses. He's right. Like, hey, boss, don't worry. Uh, that guy. Um, but yeah, so two major figures in the Muppet world had died prior to this uh, movie being out. So a lot was on its shoulders. And we should just go ahead and get into the, the Muppet angle of it. Um, yeah. Because if anybody knows me, if you have followed my podcasting uh, previously, uh, you would know I'm a huge Jim Henson Muppets fan, grew up with them, love them so much. But as I was kind of referencing earlier, before this year, Brian, you hadn't really seen any of like the Muppet movies or anything. No, yeah, I mean, like I, I, I mostly grew up with like, I feel like Sesame Street was just a big thing. It was always on, um, and I mainly grew up as like the Muppets. Like I, I've mentioned this before with like the the Looney Tunes, right? Like just you just learn about them by growing up in America, right? They are just like an American institution, um, yeah. despite. Warner Brothers trying to take them off Max, the motherfuckers. Um, and despite Disney also not having a lot of interest in doing much with them over the last, like, 20 years or so. Right. Um, but that was mainly how I knew of them, and, you know... But, but yeah, it wasn't until this year that I started really watching the Muppet movies, and I watched the first uh, three. So the Muppet movie, uh, The Great Muppet Caper, and Muppets Take Manhattan earlier in, like, the, the summer... And I, I just didn't get to A Christmas Carol because it was the summer, and I was like, this feels very weird. Could have done Christmas in July, but, you know. I, I could have. I could have, yeah, but <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, and then I, I in, in the lead-up to this episode, have watched all, I guess, what, eight Muppet movies, right? Mainline Muppet Of the theatrically films. released Muppet movies, yes. Right. Yeah, and I've, I, I love them. I just think they're the fucking best, and... You know, even like though they are very like much a, a children's entertainment, I just 
I have like fallen in love with them as an adult and just think that these movies are, are just so great. Even the bad ones, I think, have some redeeming qualities. But I, yeah, I've just loved discovering kind of what the Muppets are actually about in in their movies because like, yeah, it, they're so entertaining and they're so much fun. And I, I just love seeing them. And I mean, yeah, the, the Muppets are great. I love them. Yeah, um, I remember when I was younger, I had the VHSs of Great Muppet Caper, the Muppet mm-hmm. movie, and this one, uh, which I've, I didn't watch all year round with like the Muppet Christmas Carol. Um, but um, th- those were the three main ones I watched. But also, I like at a certain point really dove deep because I remember very distinctly, like I loved the Muppets when I was a kid, and then I remember when I was in I think like fourth or fifth grade, going over to my library at school and seeing like there was a biography section. There was one for Jim Henson, and I'm like, oh, I recognize uh-huh. that name. He's like all the Muppet things, and then reading, which is this like very like simple biography book, where I would find out stuff about like, oh my god, for the opening shot of the Muppet movie, he's in like a little tank underneath a log, like doing the puppetry. It was like yeah. such a fascinating thing. And also, my dad was like a huge like he loved the Muppets too. I think that's a big thing with like the Muppets is they feel less like just specifically children's entertainment as much as family entertainment. Truly. Yeah. Mm Because it feels like it's one of those things where the Muppets get classified definitely a lot more into like, oh, it's like kid stuff, you know, with like your Muppet babies and like Sesame Street as well, that connection. But I like that Henson always kind of had that philosophy of like, no, I should be making things that like would entertain an entire audience, including like an adult in the audience. I think that's what's so great is that like any joke that you can find in like a Muppet movie, there's like one that'll entertain an adult, one that'll entertain a kid. Entertaining like an old person, it's just like it, it runs the game. It's like a true like eight to eighty kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And like that, it's I think what works so well about them is like, you know, all of the movies are very much about them like being performers, and they are like, you know, they they want to entertain. But I I love yeah that they have these sort of, you know, it's kind of the thing that people said about Pixar the whole time, where it's like they make stuff that adults will also get and like like and stuff like that, but. It, it it's just in the in the references that are just like I mean there are some references in those old Muppet movies where I'm like I don't even get who this person is or like what oh yeah the cameos and stuff we're just like who the fuck are you <laughs> yeah but then they'll also have like Orson Welles you know in like one of the greatest scenes in all of cinema um. <laughs> prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and Company yes. <laughs> it's great it's great uh, yeah and I I love those two sides where like. They have these, like, you know, and especially, like, in the 2011 Muppets, for instance, they'll have a lot of, like, A-list stars that, like, everyone will recognize. And yet, like, yeah, it runs the whole gamut of of kind of entertaining everyone, which is what works so well about them. But also just the, like, the puppetry, which is something I'll I'll never understand. It's one of those things, like, just like animation, where I'm just like, it's it might as well be magic to me because I'll never get it. It's so great in just the character design and also just like, just like, for example, Kermit, who's such a simple design for his character. And yet his, he's so expressive. And I think that just really makes all of them. They're all like that. They're all just so expressive and unique. And like, you just fall in love with them. And I'm curious as a newcomer, do you feel like a big difference between the Henson and post Henson era with, with the, with the Muppets, like from Muppets take Manhattan to like this and forward with the various Muppet movies and stuff, do you feel a distinct, like, difference? Is, is there some magic missing for you with that? Uh, I mean, 
Not really. I mean, for this especially, I, I would never have imagined this was, like, after Henson's death, for instance, because, like, I think this movie's phenomenal. It is such a great showcase for how great the Muppets can be. And even the next movie that comes after this, Muppet Treasure Island, which, like, I have a lot of issues with. But I think that that movie also is really great in how it uses the Muppets and, like, shows, like, oh, they can tell... They, we can just put the Muppets in other, like, stories and, and, and just mm-hmm. have, you know, the, it, it, that's funny. But also it's really great to see them tell these stories with the Muppets. But, I mean, I, yeah, no, I, I don't really see that much of a difference necessarily. I mean, up until we get to, like, Muppets from Space, which is, like, I think pretty bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't disagree with you. Even as someone who, like, I have nostalgic memories of, like, seeing that one in a the theater. Like, one of the first movies I ever saw in a the theater was Treasure Island. Uh, okay. But I have a distinct memory of, like, seeing, like, Muppets from Space in the theater. And even then, like, I can't really defend. Like, From Space just has, like, all, like, that trouble for me where, like, all the earlier Muppet things, like the Muppet show and the movies and stuff, the thing I love about them so much is, like, that whole let's put on a show thing. Right. Let's like mm-hmm. let's get together and like put on like a big show to like entertain everybody, and make people happy. To to quote the Muppets twenty eleven, give people the third greatest gift, laughter, um, <laughs> all that kind of thing. And the Muppets from Space feels so much more like crass, and feels so much more like we have to like put the Muppets into like the late nineties in particular, because like, it's like ninety nine. Mm-hmm. It feels very distinctly just like oh no, we got to do like really interesting like that weird period like the turn of the millennium is a very odd period for the muppets uh considering like with the history that's specifically ties into disney with the muppets is like um in the late 80s jim henson was at a period where like he had done labyrinth and the dark crystal and those weren't like huge successes that were kind of like very decried and he was also kind of like worried like i don't know if i can really keep up with like doing interesting new creative outlets and having these characters that made me sort of like continue onward in the way that like I, where I'm like supervising it constantly. So he wanted to make a deal with Disney at the time run by Michael Eisner. Hello. (laughs) Um, Who interestingly uh, I found out had been uh, when he worked at ABC in the seventies was the main guy who greenlit like one of the early pilots for the Muppet show. When he was there, like one of the early, uh, pilots, yes. And so then he was like, you know what, I want to, like, try and give my characters a really solid legacy to, like, continue forward. And so he was trying to make a deal with Disney about this, where it would also work out with him, where it's like, well, I want the Muppets to have, like, a home, but also Disney was, like, in the negotiations trying to give him, like, oh, we'll give you, like, a 15-year contract where you can, like, make some other movies for us and maybe do some stuff at the theme parks, which he was fascinated by, stuff like that. And the negotiations were infamously kind of disastrous with Henson. Mm-hmm. They were, like, very long and laborious. Like, Jeffrey Katzenberg was, like, screaming at him. And <sighs> Michael Eisner was like, hey, could we maybe get the Sesame Street, like, characters, too? He's like, no, stop asking me. That's a children's <laughs> television workshop. I don't own those characters. Stop it. <laughs> um, and so it was, like, very stressful and haggardous for him dealing with that. And then, like, he had done the show, The Jim Henson Hour, that was kind of bombing and, like, kind of falling apart. And then he got sick very quickly in, like, 1990, and he ended up dying very suddenly on May 16th, 1990. Weirdly, like, less than a week after his final project, which was the Muppets Go to Walt Disney World special, which is very interesting to watch considering that, where, like, it ends literally with, like, 
the Muppets going up to, like, an animated Mickey Mouse. He's like, welcome to the family, everybody! And, like, the literal end song is all the Muppets singing, like, oh, we're gonna give you more stuff, more stuff. It's the Muppets in Disney. It's gonna be so great. And then Henson dies, like, less than a week later. Oof. It's really, really weird. <laughs> yeah. Considering all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, the deal fell apart at that point with Disney. But still, they were able to at least try and be friendly with the Jim Henson company where it's like, Hey, we'll like distribute and finance uh, the Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Treasure Island. But then after that, like the, they kind of fizzle the relationship because Muppets from space is a Sony movie. Yeah. And like a lot of the, yeah. And then a lot of the other projects there after that, there's a weird point where like in, I believe 2000, the Muppets were bought by like some obscure German television company who owned the rights for like a second before they went bankrupt and sold it back to the Jim Henson Company. And then finally, Michael Eisner, near the very end of his tenure, when he is, like, being ousted from Disney, in, like, a very... I would recommend anybody, the Disney War book does a lot more detail about this particular era where he's, like, on his way out, he's barely just like, uh, well, I want to get the Muppets. That was the one thing I couldn't get. Because the deal fell apart. I want to make sure that actually happens. And so he bought them, and then it feels kind of like he buys them, Eisner gets ousted, and then... Disney's like, well, what do we do with this? Right. Muppets. What the fuck is this? What are we going to do? And I feel like they've had a very tumultuous relationship with Disney after that point, where it feels like sometimes they'll do like a movie like the Muppets, and sometimes they'll just stick them into like, I don't know, you do like the Muppets Wizard of Oz, which if you want like the worst Muppet thing possible, I think that's it. <laughs> that is like really? rock bottom for me. That is terrible. No huh. offense to Ashanti, uh, who tried her best as Dorothy, but no, it's just a, that's a real rough, rough time. (laughs) Huh? Yeah. I mean, it is that like, yeah, big gap of like, of the movies at least from 99 until 2011, which is like a pretty big gap in like just culture, like what was happening around that time. And like, there's no movies out. And I I mean, I, I think I like the Muppets 2011 movie more than you do. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But and, and I think part of the reason I like that is what you were saying earlier. It's like it feels like a movie that is well, it is like literally the Muppets putting on a show to come back. But it, it is also like I, I like the aspect of that movie that is kind of commenting on that, right? Like the Muppets have been gone for a while, and just that idea of like people do people really care about the Muppets anymore? Like what you know, like who cares about any of this? And then, I don't know, you watch that movie, at least I do, and I'm, I'm just like, of course we care about the Muppets. They're the fucking best. Like, they rule. <laughs> right, right. And to be fair, I felt that way a lot more when it came out originally. Because you have no how sure. fucking hyped I was in, like, 2011. Like, they're fucking back. <laughs> We're so fucking back. Let's go. Um, and then, I just think that movie soured for me, if nothing else, because of, like, post that movie, you had, like, Muppets Most Wanted. Which, noble effort, but doesn't quite come together that well. Yeah. And then they don't do really any, like, movie stuff after that. And then even the shows that they've done after that have been, like, very mixed quality. Like, it's still, it feels like they kind of just brought them back for, like, hey, Muppets 2011, we're coming back. Everything's going to be great. And then we kind of went back to the same thing we did before. <laughs> we're just not really using these characters that much anymore. Yeah. I mean, Muppets Most Wanted is okay. It's, like, mm-hmm. fine. It, it is, like, this thing of, like... Even at their worst, even like Muppets from Space, which is like, which barely feels like a movie in my opinion. Like it, it's giving real after-school special energy, and also it just kind of feels like they don't 
really know what to do for the movie, right? Where it's like them hanging out, and then it's like uh, Gonzo is an alien now, not a whatever. Yeah, and like none of the jokes are good, and the the, the cameos in that one are really dated. <laughs> I mean, oh, what are you talking about? Like a Hollywood Hulk Hogan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a weird and a Dawson's oh. Creek like in universe <laughs> fucking cameo, yeah. and Peppy the Prawn. And that, that's my big problem. I hate Pepe the Prawn. Yeah, I don't like him either. Him. No, not really. And like Rob Schneider's in that movie, which is like, ugh. um. But I will say it is kind of upsetting that the two worst movies of these, in my opinion, which are Muppets from Space and Most Wanted, both have Ray Liotta in them, and oh, he like true. he rules. Like I, I think he's really he's great. Very in funny Muppets in both those movies, particularly in Muppets from Space. Yeah, the bit where like he has the amnesia, just like, oh, come in, everybody, come on. <laughs> The That's part at the end where he's just like, what the heck's going on over there? <laughs> this is, I think, really great. Um, and the thing is, like, I think a big trouble also is just the fact that, like, it comes with the territory of, like, having these legacy characters where, like, who were very, like, iconically played by earlier people, like, performed by earlier people. Like, right. what works so well about the earlier Muppet things with, like, say, Jim Henson and Frank Oz is that the two of them were able to, like, really hone those characters by, like, just performing off of each other and hanging mm-hmm. out and it feels like they were really able to like do something interesting with them as opposed to as time has gone on and these other very talented performers have taken over it feels like they're kind of in the shadow of Henson but also aren't given the space by Disney to like actually make these characters their own or give life to new characters especially there's been a dearth right. of like interesting newer characters there was a bit of that in like the Brian Henson era that this is a part of there's some fun people like in um, the later Muppet movies. There's the one Bobo the bear, who's like the big bear guy. Who's like, oh geez, I don't oh, know. Oh yeah, I, that guy's funny. He's like, great. I, I, like I him love a lot. him. Yeah. And there's other people like Johnny Fiamo, who's like in some of these. Where it's like he's the green guy that performs like um, Frank Sinatra numbers, shit like that. There, I, I wish they would just have the ability to like have some of these legacy characters, but also introduce interesting new ones, or even be able to do something interesting with some of the side people. Like I liked that um, Muppets Mayhem. The thing about the Electric Mayhem band that was like right. the show that was in Disney Plus. I thought that was fun. It got canceled recently. It's definitely a concern of like, I wish they would give these performers enough room to like really breathe with these characters. And it just feels like they aren't really given that. Especially with like this movie. I think it's a huge strength with say particularly like Steve Whitmire as Rizzo and Dave Goals as Gonzo slash Charles Dickens. <laughs> um, I think like that buddy duo only comes from, I think like, a bit of Jerry Jewell, who's the screenwriter here who wrote on a lot of, like, Muppet stuff, was, like, the head writer on The Muppet Show, was around for a lot of these, like, earlier productions in particular. Him, and then also, like, those performers getting to bounce off each other. Like, the moment that's the ba- your background is one of my favorite <laughs> examples of that. It's just, like, the two characters, like, interacting with each other, and then, like, kind of, and Gonzo just is like, what? And then there's a pause, and just Rizzo kisses him on the nose. <laughs> Little smush. <laughs> like it only comes from two guys like fucking around with the characters. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and there's there are so many little moments like that that like are just the Muppets interacting with each other and have not a lot to do with the like this that moment doesn't have anything to do with like the story a Christmas Carol, but it is such right. a like adorable little moment between these characters, um, which I love. Yeah, it is some of the best stuff is just kind of the interaction between them. Which I think you can do especially well with, like, these kind of, or, like, this in Treasure Island, where it's, like, we're taking a very familiar story, like, you know A Christmas Carol, right? Let's have just Muppet antics in the middle of, like, the beats of A Christmas Carol. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, and like Treasure Island's the same thing of like let's just put Muppets as some of these characters, put some humans in there, and then bada bing bada boom. Like you know, it, there is something just so inherently like entertaining about like I don't know, put the Muppets on a pirate ship, <laughs> like that. You know, it writes itself. Like there's so many great things that just come from that, and like I mean, yeah, it, it's it's part of like what I love so much about like this movie is that is also like what we were saying earlier of like having Gonzo as Charles Dickens is so interesting of like, it's still them telling a story in some way, right? They're trying to entertain and like, yeah, it's an interesting angle to kind of approach it from. Well, yeah. And it's so interesting, especially with Gonzo who like in the earlier Muppet iterations is always like the weirdo daredevil <laughs> guy. who's just like doing weird stunts and shit, just being a maniac and then putting him in like a dignified <laughs> cap and like victorian era coat is already funny but then also even him doing like straight from the text like stuff of dickens which yeah. is what makes this actually like a bit more faithful adaptation than even a lot of other ones because like you actually have like the uh, sort of like the non-dialogue driven stuff that was not usually in like a film adaptation just like the marleys were dead to begin with and stuff like that like you you don't get that with like most other adaptations but having him as a narrator character works in that way, but also has a bit of a subversive edge, like, early on, where it's just like, well, who are you? Like, Rizzo talking to him, like, well, who are you? What are you talking about? Like, I'm Charles Dickens. And it's like, well, he was a 18th century author, a genius. Why, thank you. <laughs> the one I love is later on when, um, when they're outside his window, and he's like, how do you know what's going on in there? And Gonzo Dickens is like, storytellers are omni- omniscient. <laughs> they, like, I just know. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which I'm, I'm very sure was the first time I ever heard the word omniscient as a child. <laughs> and and yeah. I love that bit, too, where there's a point where they talk about, like, oh, well, this is a bit scary. Like, or, should we be concerned about the kids? No, 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 this is culture. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I, I do love that they are, like, you know, that part where they leave, where they're like, oh, this is getting too scary. He's like, yeah, you're right. Like, you're on your own, folks. We'll see you. We'll see you at the finale. <laughs> Right, which is a great joke, but also does actually work for, like, actually giving the weight of, like, the Christmas future stuff. I mean, right. This is kind of the genius of, like, this movie, and, like, I feel like I'm a little harsh on Muppet Treasure Island. I keep thinking about it, and I I like it more, but, like, what, what makes this movie really great is that it is, one, let's just put the Muppets in this story, and, you know, jokes will come out of that inherently. Um, But, like... I love that there is a genuine, it's a very earnest telling of A Christmas Carol, right? Like it isn't really, it isn't Muppets from Space where it's trying to be kind of, you know, that sort of millennial, like edgy kind of kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like it feels well, more, like it, That one is way more Gen X though, because it's like nostalgia for like the 70s very specifically with all the weird soundtrack choices and shit. That's that true. Yeah, like that's true. Gen X snark kind of thing. Just like, right. oh, whatever we're, we're doing. As opposed to like, yeah, this feels a lot more earnest and i think it's a big credit to that is another thing that a lot of people talk about in terms of like when you have a muppet project especially the movies the better ones tend to have like a really solid human actor right at their forefront like you've got like charles durning who plays the villain in the muppet movie mm-hmm. or charles groden and diana rigg in the great muppet caper especially charles groden just he loves miss piggy <laughs> so much um even take manhattan has like doesn't have as strong an element of that but at least like you know like the jenny the like la- the waitress lady and the broadway producer's son are like still fun and feel like a similar low status to the muppets so you're kind of endeared a bit more um right. but then this movie of course has sir michael kane michael kide <laughs> my nine 
is Michael <laughs> Caine, uh, who is phenomenal in this movie. Like, one of my favorite yeah. Scrooges. And I think particularly because he said this as much, like, when he was asked to do this by Brian Henson, he's like, I'm going to treat this like I'm doing A Christmas Carol with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Not like I'm doing it with Muppets. <laughs> and that is so crucial to this movie. Because mm-hmm. if you had a guy in here who was, like, winking and nodding the whole time, he had, like, James Corden or whatever, like, some oh, asshole. God. Who's just, like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> fucking, like, bumbling around, just being like, wink, I'm Mr. Scrooge or whatever. That wouldn't be nearly as, like, impactful as, like, the moment he, like, comes walking in with, like, that Scrooge number, you're instantly just like, this guy is an asshole <laughs> and he doesn't give a shit about how cute any of these guys are especially that little bunny guy bean bunny which is so cute particularly we're just like please sir, get a, a penny for a song and then he like gets the wreath and then he opens the door back and bean bunny's like oh look is, he's gonna give me a penny and he like throws the wreath at him he like th- like really hurled it at him it's really yes. funny <laughs> yeah and like i mean it, it really is what works about this movie but also like what's so crucial about really just getting like those cameos in Muppet movies. I think it's really like, I, I almost feel like a, a sort of measure of a great actor is like, can they act opposite like these Muppets? Right. Cause I think of like, you know, Orson Welles or like, I love like a lot of the cameos in the 2011 Muppets and like, or Treasure just, Island, Tim Curry. my man. And Treasure Island, Tim Curry. He is yeah. incredible in that movie. And <laughs> yes. like, yeah, it is just, you know, can these actors like, act a- alongside these Muppets, these little, these, you know, and... These little guys. Yeah, and it, it it is kind of, can they take it seriously enough and not kind of... I think those are some of my favorite performances, is the ones that treat it so seriously. Like a Chris Cooper in the, the 2011 one is also great. Yes. Um, yeah, it just works so well about this. And yeah, he's a great Scrooge and like is giving a really great performance. And... Yeah, it's what's great about this movie is that it is a bunch of, you know, animals and mupp and muppets and animal, of course. Um, animal himself, yes. But yeah, it, it's just his performance is really grounding you in like this is still a, the, a rendition of a Christmas Carol, which is just yeah, so great. And I think a big reason for why he also works just in general with like this being a Christmas Carol adaptation. I think the best Scrooges tend to be guys who treat the material like you know, that character as if they're like, okay, I am a mean, angry person, but it's not out of like total animosity. Like you, I've seen Scrooges where somebody's like, oh, I'm bitter and right. Like that versus Kane feels like he's like bitter about the world, but in a way that feels like it comes from like, he has been hurt in the past. Like you can tell yeah. from his eyes, it almost feels like he's like suffered a lot of like regret and a lot of anguish about like his past decisions. So you got to have that kind of thing. He has it perfectly like i said from the moment he's like walking around he walks with the gait of a guy who's like i have no time for people around me i've already suffered too much in my life i don't need to like bother with you little miscreants down on my (laughs) fucking feet and whatnot yeah but then there's also just it's just really like also funny when like the scene where he's in the office and like they're asking for like more coal it's just really funny to see Michael Caine like argue with these like rats and Kermit. <laughs> How would everybody like to be unemployed? This is my island in the sun. The most Muppety gag in this movie, but it works perfectly. It is. Yeah. 
<laughs> and the, but like I I also just love all of the the little Muppet characters. Like I, one of the things I love about these movies is that it isn't just the main Muppet cast, and then like there are Muppet like civilians just walking around and everything. And I think it like it, that element I think really adds to kind of you feeling a bit more grounded in this story is just the fact that like everyone there's Muppets and humans just like hanging out together. It's it's so much fun. That great opening shot does a lot for this movie. Yeah. With just like you're going through like all the the skyway and then you like go by the roofs and then you're like down on the ground and you just see like first thing is those two British pigs. You're just like, what a great breakfast. Yes, yes. Now what do we do? Let's have lunch. Yes, let's have lunch. And there's like uh, the the Muppet fruits and like one of them is like getting stolen by a kid. And she's like, I'm being stolen. Help me. It like It just adds like there's some humor there, but it feels like you're truly in like this version of Victorian London. Which is a big right. challenge also to just... Brian Henson, I think, is an underrated director of, like, this and, like, Treasure Island. He has a great job of making the worlds feel very grounded at the same time he has, like, silly Muppet characters in them. It makes all those jerks, jokes work better because yeah. he has, like, that kind of, like, ability to really immerse you in the entire environment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, I just... I mean, the production design of, like, just their little version of London Town is so beautiful. Like, it just is so evocative like even though it is like you know a little muppet town it's it's so kind of silly but i, I think it really works and it feels like you're I, almost like zooming into like uh, somebody's christmas village like at their house like one of those displays yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah it, like uh, you know it looks like a like a miniature but the, yeah there is something very like playful and very fun about it which i really love and i agree with you like i think it's really I don't think these movies get enough credit for how well they're directed because it's like, I mean, it's, it's very difficult to get like humans and these puppets. And like, there are all these really incredible like shots in this movie, like the kind of canted angles. Like um, I think of the one right before Scrooge is about to come out of his house after the, after the ghosts visit him. And it's like, just like Gonzo and Rizzo and like the, you know, it, it looks really great. And, or the amazing shot of um, it's when Kermit, and uh, Tiny Tim Robin, the frog, are, like, walking back home. And they're doing that little scat thing. Like, yeah. Season. And, like, the fact that you, you're you seeing, like, Kermit, um, like, actually walk village. Where it's just like, oh, there's the, this frog thing's walking around. That's a great example of, like, doing that, that sort of thing that, like, isn't a lot of these movies. Like, in the first Muppet movie when uh, Kermit's on the bike. Stuff like that. Right, We're just yeah. wondering, like, that movie magic. Like, how the fuck are they getting that puppet to do that? There's, and yeah. stuff like that. There's so much stuff in this movie where I'm, again, I'm just like, I don't know how they did that. Like, I, there's, you know, it is still like, you know, it, it's funny because even though you're watching like puppets and like, it, it's such a simple, like, you know, in a way it's simple form of entertainment. And yet there's so much of that. Yeah. Like the movie magic that it's in there. It, yeah. It, it really kind of like boggles your mind at times of just like, oh my gosh, this is like in, an incredible like piece of craftsmanship which is like a really important part of like all of this stuff is like these characters, right? Gonzo and Kermit and everything like are being performed and which is like so insane to me. <laughs> which is another pet peeve I have about the modern Disney era, even in like the Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted is how much they just utilize like the CG angle of it. Of just like, yeah. we can make them do anything. They're still puppets, thankfully. But, like, they still have them, like, oh, we're going to, like, make them walk around, like, so easily. It's like, yeah, but I know, like, this is just, like, them on a green screen or whatever. There's not as much, like, a magic there. They even, they remove the rods digitally, which I think is bullshit. 
I don't yeah. like that. Even on the certain uh, Muppet projects on Disney Plus, they are digitally removing the rods still. And I don't like that. Even as a kid, like, I knew... As a little kid, I knew these were fucking puppets. I knew they were right. made out of felt or whatever, but it just didn't matter to me, and it made me appreciate them even more, where it's like, oh, wow, there's, like, a little rod on Gonzo, like, some guy's moving below, like, frame, but that makes it so much more impactful, like you're talking about, because, like, you can see, like, the real dedication, because you can, like, that little peek behind the curtain makes you, like, feel right. a bit more invested in it. My, the example I always love is, like, the Swedish chef, where, like, he is such a great character and is such, like, you know, expressive and everything, but his hands are human hands. Yes. <laughs> and they're very obviously human hands, but it's just <laughs> so funny. And it is a great, like, you know, it's a great of, like, yeah, we have this great puppet with great design and everything, but, like, I don't know, what do we do about his hands? Oh, just, use my, just use regular hands. It's, it, it's a great, yeah, sort of blending of, like, the movie magic side of things, but also, like, the kind of thing with which I think is true of like all these Muppet movies of like, there's a bit of them that kind of, they want you to know that you're being like told a story, but not in that sort of fourth wall breaking way that we, ha we kind of, I think talk about a lot that is kind of grading, which we see a lot of, a lot of recent movies is I think they, they do a really great job of kind of making you aware of like, this is a story. We're all here to like tell the story and we're entertaining you, but yeah, there is still a bit of that sort of craft and really beauty behind it. Right, the fourth wall breaking stuff is mainly reserved for, like, the characters who are breaking the fourth wall of, like, Gonzo and Rizzo. Right. Constantly. We're just like, and even, like, in the older Muppet movies, they, whenever there was a fourth wall breaking joke, it was actually something clever. Instead of right, just, like, there's... in this fucking dumb <laughs> or whatever. Right, like, they, like, Ryan Reynolds so does smart. now or whatever bullshit. Yeah, all of the sort of fourth wall breaking jokes in the Muppet movies are just so funny. And for, and like, are, you know, from like, it is very weird to sort of be reminded like, oh my gosh, we can have these like, you know, nudge, nudge, like winking at the audience moments and have them be genuinely hilarious sometimes. Like they just really get me like, uh, I don't know, just off the top of my head. Like I love just, I don't know, the travel by map thing I always think of from like the 2011 Muppets where it's like, how'd you right. get here? Oh, we traveled by map. Like, my, <laughs> it's great. My favorite, the one that like blew my mind as a child is still in the Muppet movie with like when... Kermit and Fozzie meet the Electric Mayhem, and they're trying to explain everything. But it's like, you know, here, just read the script, and they read like up to that point in the yes. script, just like, and it's like, oh, what an interesting story. All right, we'll help you out. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff is is just so great, and like, I mean, it's such a delicate balance, I think, especially with this movie, right? Because like, this is a very emotional story, right? Like, there's just something in like. It's it's a real tearjerker, and I think it's a really delicate balance of like how do we still infuse a lot of that Muppet energy without kind of taking out the just the weight and the like impact of the story. It's a really like impressive balance, I think. And I think a big reasoning for that working as well is like something where in development they were originally planning to have our sort of Ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future be Muppet characters. I think it was going to be, like, Gonzo was going to be, like, Christmas past and that kind of thing. And I think that would have broken you out of the story. Because that's something that, like, a lot of other, you know, versions of the story do. Where it's like, let's right. cast our characters in these different roles. And I think it takes a lot more restraint to be like, no, we want to have these ghosts have weight. So we're going to have new designs. And I love each of these, like, past, present, and future designs. Where it's like, you got past, who's this, like, haunted ghost girl 
that looks amazing. Yeah. That scared me as a child, by the way. I was terrified of this thing. It's a little a unsettling. Yeah, I can, I yes. can see that, yeah. And especially the way that they did that, where it's like she is superimposed in because um, they had, like, the puppet underwater. That's how they get to, like, float and stuff like that. And just insert over. And it looks seamless. It's beautiful. Just yeah. She's integrated into it. Yeah. It's it's great. I think, like, well, because that's what I was wondering, right? Because I watched the Jim Carrey A Christmas Carol last night to kind of, like, re-familiarize myself with, like, the A Christmas Carol story. Right. And then I, the whole time I'm watching that movie, I'm just like, oh, my God, who are who are the Muppets playing in the story? Right. Like it is a, a really exciting thing of just like what what characters are they going to be playing? And I agree with you. Like, I think having kind of the core characters that we know be the ghosts would have been really distracting. And I think I like that they chose to do them. You know, I like that Kermit is not like a central necessarily like he's not a central figure to the story like he's bob cratchit of course but like he could have been charles dickens that would have been the more easy thing to do right yeah 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 because he plays that kind of role especially in like any of the like christmas specials the muppets did. he would usually like come in, especially ones where the muppets weren't hugely involved you just come in like hi ho i'm here and here's this story that you're about to see and whatnot versus having like a gonzo do that that's already an off-kilter choice but it keeps you invested that immediately just makes you realize, okay, this isn't going to be quite what I would expect from the Muppet Christmas Carol. And then right. the three ghosts are even more of that. I mean, to be fair, also, we should create, there are technically five ghosts here. Because you have Sadler and Walter, oh, yes, Marley and Marley. <laughs> which is like, even though those characters are like very funny, obviously. But that is also creepy. Just the way that they like redesign them. <laughs> it from, is, like, yeah. The Marleys and like the chains that are like all around them. They feel like, especially when like they're being dragged away at the end of their song. And it feels like they have, yeah. like, they're actually being choked by these chains around them. Like, they do their jokes, and they'll have, like, points where, like, almost shiver in a sigh. Like, remember that Christmas where we threw out all the kids from the orphanage? Oh! <laughs> and then they get, like, choked by their chains because of reminded of their horrible deeds that they did. It, it sells it even more. Like, even those jokes that happen just feel like, oh, we're distracting ourselves from our eternal torment in the <laughs> yeah. afterlife yeah they're great they're my they might be my favorite of the muppets um i always just love to hear them pop up and see what what like you know i love that they're shit talkers like i just maybe it's that angle yeah. that i love but um yeah and like it, it's a really interesting interesting decision to have like them be you you would think that it would go too far into the comedy but they still do the jokes, right? Like you still get the, them doing, oh, like you know, you get the, their banter. But it it it's still a really great version of like that scene from A Christmas Carol. Like I, I really like it. Um, and also, yeah, just really like unsettling and creepy, and is so like visually interesting to see them as like as the ghost characters. I think. Yeah, and even like I love the bit too, where once again Michael Caine is not treating this in a joking way, where he sees them just like there's more gravy than a grave of you, and it's like, well, gravy than a grave, what a terrible pun! <laughs> Leave the comedy to the bears, Ebenezer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like they're they're willing to be they, them being jokey works for like those elements of that, while still keeping that central thing of like these are people who have been damned because of their sins. At the same right. time, central to who they are as these characters, and it's great casting to get them because they are the the two like grumpy old men of the Muppets. It's a great right. like casting choice as well. But even like the the bit early on when like Ebenezer goes up to his door and the doornail turns into uh, Statler, like that's a bit where like 
it's like obviously it's much more funny now in retrospect but i remember once again as a kid like oh terrifying and yeah it's always like yeah and i think this is one that also gets the idea of like this being a ghost story i think a christmas carol was also very central in me becoming a horror fan because it's right. like it is a creepy story of just like being visited by these specters of various different times in your life i think just like it immediately immerses you in like kind of like a creepy atmosphere for like a jovial christmas story and whatnot and i think that works for like the three ghosts that we do get like past present i think is such a great kind of middle ground of like a muppety character that feels very true to the story um who's performed yeah. by jerry nelson and i love the way that like that's a great example of the sort of multiple people performing a character because there's a guy in the suit but then off camera jerry nelson is like doing the voice but also has like this cool little rig that's like these little radio remote control things where like he has his hand inside like a mechanical thing that's moving the oh. the mouth and there's also another guy doing like the eyes even where, like his eyes can move like up and down stuff like that. there's like so many people getting just that guy to like work and it's so wonderful yeah i think it's better than like the carrie version of like having him just be big i like that it makes him kind of normal sized as well like i you know it's a really great version of like the christmas present well he still can be i like that he can change size like he goes big right you know, there's points where he goes like really small for like the mice oh, right, like, I love that <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and then like the the the, the ghost of, of christmas future is like kind of genuinely creepy like yes even like i was expecting a moment where like he took his hood off and it was going to be like the you know it was going to be i don't know fucking like animal or something <laughs> But like, Sweetums. Sweetums is like the obvious choice. Right, yeah, that's what, yeah. Like, oh, where are you guys going? <laughs> yeah, I'm being a Christmas it, Carol too. But yeah, it, it's it's not. It, it's, again, like, it's part of that thing of, like, they know when to have these Muppet characters be more jokey, but they know when to just be, like, just tell a Christmas Carol. They know how to just tell the story. And yeah, they actually, like like you were saying, like, I, there, it's they never stray from the fact that this is a ghost story and there is like an inherent creepiness in that, which obviously like Gonzo and Rizzo like call out, but like in the ghost of future Christmas future, like, I don't know. I was really like struck by how creepy the design for him was, but he still feels like he fits within like the Muppet angle of it. He still feels like an actual like puppet, like his hands are a bit Muppety. Yeah. Like long and spindly at the same time. Right. That's the thing. They they ride that great line. Even up past has that too, where she feels like it's clear like a, a muppet in terms of like the face, but it feels like just a bit off in yeah. a way that f makes it feel unsettling. And even like present also has a bit of that where like after he's like very jovial as the Christmas goes along, like when he's at his ending state, and he's like older and he's oh he's got the, like aged. the gray hair and everything yeah. yeah. And he's starting to, like, forget things um, and stuff like that. He's, like, truly, like, fading away into, like, his old Christmas color lights and stuff like that. It feels like they're, once again, they're keeping the spirit of the Dickens novella, like, central at the same time they are, like, Muppety characters. And then having, you know, like, Animal or Sam Eagle fuck around and stuff like that, which I love. <laughs> Sam Eagle is Sam so Eagle. great <laughs> when he pops. It's just, like, the it is the American way. Huh? Oh, it is the British way. That's a great example of what we're talking about, that sort of fourth wall breaking where it's like, isn't it, it's Gonzo or Rizzo that like whispers to him, right? Like, yes. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's just great. <laughs> and he's great. And I love... That works so well because like he, uh, he gets that little information and says it's the British way and then he looks around like, what the fuck was that guy doing? 
<laughs> he's not one of my students. And there's also a great little bit, like, as they're fading away, and he's like, oh, the coach is going to come for you. He's like, now don't tip the driver. <laughs> so yeah, he's, oh, I love Sam the Eagle. He's great, and, like, I love him in Muppet Treasure Island as, um, I forget Sam. the character. Right, as <laughs> Sam Arrow. Sam yeah. Arrow, yes. Um, yeah, he's great. Um, and but, I think that's a big thing. What's interesting also with, like, him and some of the other things, like, if I had an issue with this movie, just in terms of less the specific adaptation and more, like, sort of Muppet history in general, this feels like kind of the beginning of the end of Frank Oz giving a shit about the Muppets because you notice his right. characters are utilized here like Fozzie Bear is just Fozzie Wig he pops up for a couple scenes which is um, great though it's a it great, is great like... it's a great pun <laughs> worth it for the pun um, and then Miss Piggy also is Miss Cratchit who only appears in like a couple bits and pieces so it, it feels definitely like they're it's not nearly as egregious as like in Treasure Island and especially from space like literally at that point someone else is puppeteering on set and Frank Oz is like dubbing the voiceover later and you can oh uh, okay Right. It feels like those characters aren't nearly as like heartfelt from Oz as you can see previously. It feels like once Jim passed away, he really dove more deep into like his directing career. He right. Wasn't interested. This one at least feels like it's kind of like his bon voyage, as it were, from the characters because he's still like actually there on the set and he's like an executive producer and stuff like that. You love to see Miss Picky just show up and in, in whenever she shows up in one of these movies, they always give her like a great reveal, you know. Yes. Um, with her in the chestnuts, she's like, "Mother, you said we couldn't eat the chestnuts." Like, come on, it's. A, I, I'm just tasting it to make sure that it's done. It's a chef's thing, dear. And I always love to hear like what she's gonna call Kermit, right? Because she calls him Kermy, but in this one, right. it's it's Cratchy, Cratchy. <laughs> <laughs> and also, even with like her character here, her and Kermit, like a big thing, like despite the fact that obviously you know Kermit gets to do some. Uh, like funny bits here and they're like the the one more sleep till Christmas number and something like that he gets to like have yeah. some fun with like skinning around they still treat the material even seriously with like them like they have like funny joke bits here and there but like the scene after like Tiny Tim has passed in like Christmas future and they just have the whole thing where you know Kermit's talking about like uh, I, we chose a little spot on the hill so he can so you can see the ducks on the river and she says, "Like Tiny Tim loved looking at the ducks on the river." That's that. I think that was one where I had one of my cries. Um. <laughs> and, and then Kermit like literally goes into like the whole thing of like uh, life is full of meetings and partings. Like, oh fuck, dude, what? <sighs> yeah, Jesus. Oh man, it, that's part of the stuff that where it feels, especially like you know this being the first movie with that Jim Henson. Like, I think that's part of it, right? Honestly, that it feels like they're kind of like going through that angle of it. Even and of course, this is also Steve Whitmire. His first turn at Kermit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you feel about like that? Because that's a big sticking point for a lot of people is like Kermit sounding different and like some of the other characters like sounding different in one. How do you feel about Steve Whitmire's version of Kermit? I don't mind it. I, I definitely notice a difference from like obviously from Henson because like I think Henson in those first three movies is like perfect as Kermit. Like I really love just like Kermit in those movies. He just has like. I don't know. There's something so perfect about his characterization, the voice and everything. Um, but I, I don't dislike it by any means. I, I, I definitely think it's like a noticeable difference and like I kind of notice it, but it, it doesn't really take away from like Kermit because he's such a great like character. I think he's just, you know, like I said earlier, he's like so simple, 
but he's like weirdly expressive a lot like his like lips move a lot it's so like subtle but i um yeah no i i think it's great and he he does a great job for for like up until he doesn't for all of them right but up until most wanted Right, yeah, because shortly after most point, there was a whole thing. I'm still not even completely sure of the details of this, but basically, like, he apparently was a massive diva about, like, oh, I'm right. Kermit. Like, you have to, like, follow my demands. Like, Kermit wouldn't do this. Kermit wouldn't do that. Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And people just eventually got tired of just like, fuck off, dude. We're going to get somebody else. And they got Matt Vogel, who I just, I'll never get over. Like, they got the guy who played Constantine, the character infamous for, like, not <laughs> being able to replicate Kermit. And they got that guy to fucking play Kermit. It still feels so weird to me. It is weird. Yeah. I don't know. I like Constantine, though. He's fun. No, he's a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think the thing is with these some of these other movies, I think it works for this movie. But in some of the other ones, something that's kind of missing for me from like Kermit after Henson dies is the moments where he will actually like kind of blow up and kind of be frustrated. Right. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really happen nearly as much because it feels like they kind of have to make Kermit sort of a figurehead and they can't really make him have, like, those moments. But that was kind of the appeal to me. Like, on the Muppet show, there would be so many points where, like, oh, a gag is falling apart. Or, like, there's backstage drama and Kermit can't, like, handle it. And he'll just, like, blow up about something. That's part of, like, the endearing quality of him. As opposed to, like, I'm just a straight-up good guy who doesn't have any kind of, like, foibles or human, like, anger issues or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. No, I don't know. I, I still, like... The, the voice and the characterization of Kermit, like, but I will say, yeah, there's something very special about Henson in those three movies doing Kermit. Like, I, I really think that I, I love, yeah, those moments where he blows up are just really funny and are just, there's something very cute about him, but like seeing him blow up is is just so, I don't know, it's so charming. Um, or even in like Takes Manhattan, that's what, kind of like my favorite part of that movie is there's like the whole point where they're like, oh, they're desperate and they don't know what to do. And they keep looking like, Kermit, can you help us? Kermit guide us. And he's like, I don't know. Like, I'm with you. I don't have no fucking idea. We're, we're stuck in New York. I don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I grew up with, like, a lot of, like, the 90s era Muppet stuff. At the same time, I was, like, watching the older stuff. So right. I just, I never, like, found quite as big a difference aside from that, which only came from, like, years later being, like, analyzing it. As opposed to, like, when I was a kid, it's like, oh, no, it's Kermit. Whatever. Sure. Yeah, I, I, it is also very interesting that, like, the three I watched months ago were the Henson, were the ones where Henson is Kermit, and the ones I watch now are the ones where it's not, it's, it's Whitmire. So, yeah, I, I'm also having a bit of, like, trying to remember from, like, months ago, but, yeah, I, I'd be curious to kind of revisit those, those first three ones, because I, I now want to even more after watching, like, all these other ones. <laughs> Well, especially, like, going back to, like, some of those old Muppet Show episodes as well. That's a fascinating thing if you want to see, like, the weird sort of, like, the cameo element of it. Those are oh, ones where, like, right, they just yeah. have weird people host, like, Mummenschance, which is, like, a troupe of mimes from, like, the 70s. Did an episode of the Muppet Show. Great. And it's like, you'll, ha- you'll have, like, that next to, like, Mark Hamill, like, right around the time of, like, <laughs> Empire Strikes Back, where Luke Skywalker and C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewbacca show up. That's a very funny episode. That's cool. Um, but, but yeah, um, you know, we haven't talked about the music here, which is uh, very cute. This right. is a musical, and this is Paul Williams returning uh, after he had collaborated with Jim Henson on, like, the Muppet movie and some other projects, and they brought him back to do songs for this one. How do you feel about the songs? Oh, I love the songs. 
maybe because like the last one I watched was um, Muppets from Space, which is not a musical for some reason. No. Which yeah. is one of the many bad things about that movie. But like, <laughs> I, I, I had forgotten that this was going to be a musical, basically. And like, like first of all, this movie is 90 minutes. Even with the, quote, full-length version. <laughs> right. Still... We'll get to that. This is a key part of like the song discussion. <laughs> right. It's still 90 minutes. And, uh, you know, when the songs start, I'm like, oh, my God, there's going to be fucking songs in this, too. It's... And they're great. Um, I, I love the... I forget their name. What are the, the two old guys' names? <laughs> Sadler and Waldorf. Sadler and Waldorf, yeah. I love their like their little song, which you talked about a little bit about. Like, It's funny, but also still has that kind of darkly like macabre kind of edge to it that the story has. The The musical angle of like the Muppets is so interesting because like it is such a really important part of like my enjoyment of them is that these are musicals and I love just getting to see these like puppets perform these really elaborate and like gorgeous, like musical numbers. Um, they're just so like joyful. I really, really love them. Yeah. I think right from the start, like I love Scrooge, the the opening number, which is like yeah. that, that clever wordplay that Paul Williams has in a lot of his songs where it's like, when the cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. But there's nothing in nature that makes your heart freeze, like being alone, like stuff like that. It's such, like, very bouncy melodies, but there's still is, like, a bit of, like, the, what you're talking about, the kind of, um, the macabre angle of it, which is, like, right. the um, unkind as any, and the wrath of many. Like, I, like, also love the different performers sing, like, bits. Like, it feels yeah. like just a mm-hmm. huge group thing. And also even, like, the staging of that is amazing, where it's like you're at the height level of the Muppets and you have um, Michael Caine walking around. And that's just like on a filmmaking level when you consider the fact that like all of those puppeteers are like on a stage that is like four feet off the ground where they're like performing underneath. And Michael Caine has to walk on like very thin walkways right. to be able to even accomplish that shot. And if he like steps one inch too far to the right or left, he like fucking falls. So it's just like it's so like meticulous to get a shot like that. But like we're especially like there's one shot where it's even just like him walking continuously to his office and there's like a huge row of like Muppets singing alongside him. It's like it yeah. takes a lot to make that even work. But I love that opening number. I love the Marley and Marley number. The it feels like Christmas, which is just like a favorite Christmas song of mine in general. Oh yeah. I just love that song. It's in the singing of a street corner choir, getting warm by the fire and all that stuff. Yeah, it, it, I mean, like, that song specifically, like, really kind of remind just has, it, it's that, the love of Christmas, like, I don't know, there's something about, like, I'm not really sick of Christmas music, thankfully, I, I still really love Christmas music, and that song just kind of, like, really, I don't know, really just brings out that sort of feeling, I mean, feels like Christmas, but, like, that, that feeling of, like, the holidays that's so, like, I don't know, so cozy and so comfortable, I, I love that song. It feels like warm cocoa, truly. Like yeah. all the songs in this. It has that kind of appeal like warm cocoa. And I think that's, it's why I think, you know, all the other people have written songs for the Muppets and done a great job. But I think Paul Williams just has that perfect mix of like what we're talking about that like is so key to the Muppets. Of just kind of like that cleverness, that um, bit of like a wry sense of humor, but also a sincerity at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think like makes him the perfect person to write for the Muppets, even like in, I, I recently rewatched it's uh, letters to Santa, which was especially in like 2008. And they brought okay. Williams back to do like songs for that one. 
Like, not a lot of great songs, not necessarily, like, my favorite special, but it has so much warmth when, like, they perform songs of his. To the point where I'm just like, do Piggy of the Paradise. Do it, cowards. (laughs) Let them do it, Disney. (laughs) Um, But we should talk about, of course, When Love is Gone, which is a weird kind of, like, thing with this movie where in the original, like, cut that was um, at least screened, like, in press screenings and stuff... They had this song that appears during the Christmas Past segment where you see young Scrooge and young Belle, his love interest, um, do this song. Uh, mainly she does the song, their breakup song, and her like leaving him and like being the true moment where like he becomes the miserly character, which is a very key thing in most of the Christmas carols, most of the better ones anyway. Um, but when this was screened for preview audiences, Jeffrey Katzenberg... Uh, was very vocally like the kids aren't going to be interested in this at all. They're not going to have any investment in like this. The song has no Muppets in it. What the fuck is this shit? And Wait, so they that's cut what it. they cut out. <laughs> that's what they cut out. They cut out that entire song. Oh wow! And then, um, but the weird thing is, it wasn't in the theatrical version, but it was on the initial home video releases. So when huh. I was a kid, I grew up with like this song being a factor in like right consistently like on my original VHS tape. And then when I, like, you know, would watch it on streaming or whatever, it's like, what? This is gone? What the fuck? How'd this, like, leave the movie? And so you could only see it for a while on, like, the full screen version of the movie. Oh, sure. That would be on, like, the early DVD screens. That was, like, the last time it was made available. So then eventually seemed like, oh, we're never going to be able to, like, restore this. They thought they'd lost the negatives until around 2020. They found it and they were able to restore it. And they just put it on, on Disney+. Plus last year in its full form in the extra section. You gotta really dig down yeah. to fucking find this full version of the movie, but it's restored in 4K widescreen. And uh, yeah, I think it's very key to like the story in general, but specifically this version of the movie to have that element of it. Even though there aren't really any Muppets there, it still like keeps you immersed in like the actual arc of Scrooge. And Michael King gets to sing a bit more and it feels very like, Ernest, because he never sung before this movie. I think that adds to it because Scrooge kind of feels like somebody who doesn't sing often. And right, when he sings yeah. <laughs> here, it feels like somebody who's just getting used to the idea of singing again in his life. Yeah, there's the there's that part where he starts to sing during that song, like towards the end. And it, like my heart was just like, oh my god. Like he like there's something about his performance in there where he's re- he like it it feels like the moment where he is like becoming a person you know yeah. like it's the moment where he is just like breaking down and like just seeing michael kane like cry in the background is just like i was it, like it's so so heartbreaking and like yeah it's a great song i can't believe i was wondering what was cut out because it's only like two minutes from like indifference from the theatrical to the right. full length version so i was wondering what got, got cut out i i can't believe it was that in the version that most people can see on disney plus it, like, cuts from her saying, like, well, I guess you not knowing that is exactly why this isn't going to work out. And then she, like, walks off camera and then just cuts to, like, Rizzo and Gonzo, like, crying, like, on the sidelines. <sighs> yeah, the joke doesn't even work if you don't have the song, because, like, that's what they're, <sighs> yeah, that's what they're crying to. This is, yeah. And that's not even, like, a joke, really, to me. It just feels like or, it's a very, yeah, like, like, Rizzo's crying about this shit. It's sad, right. dude. <laughs> it, it, yeah, like, I, I love that moment because it is, like, they don't comment on it. It's not like Rizzo isn't, like, 
oh, it's so sad. You know, he doesn't say anything. It, it is just like, yeah, this is so sad and so beautiful and heartbreaking. He's crying and Gonzo's comforting him like friends do. They're bros. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Just like Charles Dickens and a rat would do. <laughs> his his pet rat Rizzo, which I consider canon. That's not in any biography of Charles Dickens, but I'm I'm considering he had a pet rat named Rizzo who he treated like a bro <laughs> and had him wear like a little <laughs> red and yellow scarf and top hat. I love even like their little bits in between sort of you know the the Scrooge stuff I think is really funny like the I mean we talked about the kiss which is great but like the joke that comes before the kiss where he's like uh, jelly beans they were in my pocket the whole time <laughs> I think is great him not knowing the bars that are great yeah the bars bit is so good or it's just like you could walk through those bars the whole time yeah you're such an idiot <laughs> they just move on. Yeah. Or the right. bit where Rizzo ends up freezing is also great, and he has to like crack him like a popsicle. Just, I guess I should be thankful for that. You're welcome. Yeah, and they don't overstay their welcome or anything. It's not like the movie grinds to a halt to like do more bits with Gonzo and 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 Rizzo. It is just like, yeah. you know, I, I love it, and I love that they have to like fall like physically follow the story. I just love anytime they're on the windowsill, like especially towards the end where they're like. Is it safe to be up here? And then he just, they get knocked down off of like the second floor or whatever. Um, like just so many of those bits are are like great, but don't overstay their welcome. Like I think a lot of other movies would, and how easy I think it could be, you know, to just do like the Muppets like riffing on a Christmas Carol or something, like just making jokes on like the sides or something. But they don't they don't do that here, and I think it's that's a, it's a really great decision. I mean, how do you feel about some of these smaller? Muppet characters kind of being utilized in here. I like them. I like them because, like, you know, it is, like, kind of what we were talking about, like, putting just the Muppet characters in into a Christmas carol. It would be so easy to have them be, like, these much bigger roles because they're the Muppets. And, like, you know, we want to have them front and center. But I like how restrained a lot of the use is, um, even though some of it obviously comes from, like, the, the Frank Oz uh, stuff that we were talking about earlier. Or even just also, like, Jim Henson not being there. Like, for example, Rolf's right. not at all in this movie. And you notice he's not in, like, the 90s Muppet movies at all. Oh, because right. he was, like, sort of, like, the first Muppet to be big. Because he was on, like, talk shows and stuff before even Kermit was. Sort of the, the character that made the Empire the Muppets were kind of built on unofficially. And so they kind of, like, restrained from using him that much. Um, and even, like, Swedish Chef's only there for, like, one bit and stuff like that some of these other characters yeah but at the same time yeah i like that you know even just having certain ones like i love um bunsen honeydew and beaker as the guys asking for the donations i think yeah. it's a really solid use of them too just like uh, how much could i put you down for nothing oh you want to be anonymous and so <laughs> that's really funny i cannot express how much i love um his design the uh is, is beaker beaker's the scientist or is Beaker the... Well, uh, Beaker's the meep guy. Okay. He's a bit taller. Bunsen Honeydew's the scientist guy. Bunsen yeah. Honeydew. I love his design. I There's something about every time he pops up, I don't know what it is, but just the shape of his head and like his eyes, I don't know. The fact it's... that he doesn't have eyes is so great, he just has glasses. Right. Yeah, it's, I don't know. There's something about his face that's just so funny, and like I find him so like endearing. And he, they had a song that was cut. They had, oh, They really? had a song. And Sam Eagle had a song as well that was recorded. <laughs> you can hear them on the soundtrack, but they are not uh, oh, songs huh. in the actual movie. 
Um, which I get because, like, I don't know if those characters need songs necessarily. Sure, right. Uh, but they're very fun. You can you can hear them. They're, they're they're solid songs. But yeah, I like their use. I like the electric mayhem at Fozzie's. Yeah, I love Animal just kind of being there for like a second, and he's just like right up on the camera and like quiet like yeah. that. And then also him like when they're actually playing, he's just is doing like the triangle, just like. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually she's like one two three and then like go ham <laughs> yeah and i love i mean again this just part of the thing we're talking about of like this movie not trying to be kind of like subversive or edgy in any way where like they don't go into like a metal song or something like a huge rock song like they just play like a you know a jovial like song it, it's great and while we're on this section i love have i love the ways that they try to fit swedish fish swedish fish sorry i was eating swedish fish yesterday <laughs> Worky bork. Um But I love the way that they try to fit him, like Swedish chef, into it. Like I love in I think it's in Treasure Island where he shows up on on the island and they're they turn to the camera and they're like, How else were you supposed to fit him into this movie? <laughs> right. Um or even like obviously this is like a more central character, but I think this is the best use of Robin the Frog in any of these things. Kirk's oh. nephew is Tiny Tim. It's like it's he's made to play that particular character. He's... He's so adorable. <laughs> it's just like it's, the way he coughs. Even is just like oh, so sad. It's so sad. bless us all. Yeah, his design is so great. Like everything about it, like just the way he's dressed and everything. But when when they like, it's during the future section when he's like passed away and like they just show his like his his like wa- his like crutch and his hat and I'm just like oh my gosh. That's one of those dev- the best Christmas carols know how to make that fucking line from present work so well. Where he's just, just like, I see a crutch in a corner without an owner. Like that yeah, thing. And yeah. They really make it like work. Cause we should just sing this like cute little fucking puppet frog. Yeah. <laughs> just like talking about like, oh, I, we went to church and I, everyone was so jovial and fun. I can't wait for Christmas. I, I also love the detail even like the um the other kids. I'm Badina. I'm <laughs> Like, all that, but even that, like, that's this weird thing has become so very prevalent, especially in, like, the later Muppet movies about, like, Kermit and Piggy being a thing, and how, like, it becomes, like, a even, like, the weird press thing, just, like, are Kermit and Piggy together, or are they not? What's going on? It's a will-they-won't-they eternally? Just like, I don't, man, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I don't we have to be this interested in these two fucking, um, but... (laughs) <laughs> I just love the detail. Just like all the the two boys are frogs, the two girls are pigs. That's yes. how we just get around that element of it. Yeah, it's great. And I I don't know. Their little interactions are great. Like we like the little like the what is it the, the nuts that she's eating? Is that is that what it was? The chestnuts. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Or uh, yeah, I love her just not knowing who's who because they just they look like pigs with hair. <laughs> right. <laughs> a, a great sort of side-tier Muppets that I love are, like, the the ones who play, like, the the grave robbers that we see in future, especially that spider that's actually wearing, like, a big eight-legged suit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of kind of creeped me out a little bit for a second where I was like, oh, it's it's a spider. But, um, yeah. It's, it's wearing really... a suit. Way more scary. <laughs> Very it got scary. tailored. That's the only thing scarier than spiders. Um, I don't know <laughs> how much I've talked about my severe arachnophobia on this on this podcast yet, but um, I'm getting you a plush spider wearing a suit <laughs> as a Christmas oh, shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I love that the, the that section, like just all the designs of all those characters, which I don't—they're not like big Muppet characters or anything in that scene, right? 
No, they're very much background characters you'd see in, like, other productions. But, yeah, they're not, like, pivotal main people, necessarily. Yeah, but it, it's a great use of, of them in that section, of, of just using them in that one scene. And they're all very, like, just very memorable and very, like, fun. Or even, like, the side pigs. I love, like, what them using these pigs as, like, British rich assholes. Like, the ones that are outside, like, I'm sure it'll be a cheap funeral. I will only go if lunch is provided. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All those characters, like, I, I, lo- I particularly love those. I'm glad you brought them up. Because, like, they're so, like, well-designed as, like, characters. Like, the you know, mm-hmm. they don't, like, they're very distinctive from, like, Miss Piggy and, like, her, her and, and their children. Um, but like they, I, I love them. I think that it's such a great the sideburns like, is a great touch in particular. They yes. have those big like mutton chop sideburns. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, it's just the thing I'm talking about. I, I talked about earlier of like, you know, it would be easier to have, like, it would be kind of easy to just be like, oh, those can be humans. But I love that they incorporate the more Muppet characters into like secondary and tertiary and just like background characters. Like it, yeah, it's just such a great, like. And all of these movies do that, of course, but, like, it's great in this version because, like, it's a great, like, balance, like we were talking about earlier, of, like, the Muppet stuff and the earnestness of, like, the story. Like, even something is, like, like a Bean Bunny, who's that little bunny character, who, like, is, like, truly one of the most cloying characters in, like, Muppet-era stuff, like, this particular era. Just kind of, like, a very cutesy-for-cutesy-sake kind of character. This is one of the better uses of him, nothing else, for just... Like, he feels earnestly like, oh, he's that kid who has to be like the, you boy, what day is You there, boy. (laughs) My favorite thing. I love it so much. You boy, what day is this? Why is Christmas Day, sir? What a clever child. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, do you know the the shop down the street with the goose? The one twice as big as me, sir? Which, for the record, for Bean Bunny, not a big turkey. If it's twice (laughs) as big as Bean Bunny. That's true. When it is like a human child, you are like, oh my god, that's a huge turkey. But it is like, yeah, he's a a tiny little bunny. (laughs) Right. They utilize him well there. Or even like just that one shot where like he's just shivering inside of like a newspaper or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, it's... (laughs) There's something about like just the way that they, the Muppets use like the tiny characters, like, like, like Tiny Tim, right? Like just the small characters where you're just like, they're so fucking cute where you just you can't help it you can't help it <laughs> yeah and even like a rizzo who on paper should be like the ugliest thing possible adorable character yeah <laughs> like i love that bit where um i think it's during like the one more sleep till christmas where like he gets thrown into the barrel and then gonzo looks down he's just like got his arms on his sides and he's like tapping his foot <laughs> it's like such a cute funny shot i love when he's getting chased around by the cat and he just goes i'm from new jersey <laughs> <laughs> which again is one of those like fourth wall breaking moments but it's so like random and just funny that like it just makes me laugh <laughs> yeah and meanwhile like i said while all this is going on kane is so committed yeah like, it's interesting watching this now when like he recently announced his retirement right yeah despite you know kane being like kind of infamous after a certain point for being like a guy who would do anything for a paycheck <laughs> Yeah, that's After true. a certain point, like his great line about Jaws the Revenge, which is like, I haven't seen Jaws the Revenge, but I've seen the house it paid for, and it's quite lovely, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of his better performances, I would honestly say, which is saying a lot, because he's done a lot of great stuff. But I think, especially of like the sort of, you know, 90s onward period, 
It feels like he's right. genuinely just invested in like every little bit of it. Even when he is doing the, like the "you boy, what day is this?" and stuff like that, he feels like he's just genuinely a reformed person at that point. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's the real magic of like the A Christmas Carol story for me is that part when he wakes up and is like a new person and he's like, "I feel light as a feather." Mary is a schoolboy, like you know, you know that kind of thing. Where, I didn't like, miss it. Oh, I didn't yeah, miss it. It's yeah. it's so it, like key to like the Scrooge performance because like he genuinely feels like yeah changed and like when he sings the song at the end, it's just one of the most joyful things I've ever seen. <laughs> he feels so genuinely invested as like you go along this journey, even like earlier on when he sees like his schoolboy days. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, oh, look, there's Joe and Bob, all my friends. And then the first bit that crushes my soul is when he looks at himself inside the schoolhouse and the ghost Christmas past is like, let's see another Christmas. He's like, they're all very much the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Soul crushing. And then going even like when he the Christmas future stuff happens and he has to do like the most typical thing of just like S- these images of what has to be or what can change. Can I change it? And stuff like that, he feels genuinely invested that whole time. Yeah, but I what I like about this, and, and like I'm, I, I keep comparing it to the the Jim Carrey one, but it's just because it's fresh in my mind. Right, the other great Christmas Carol adaptation <laughs> that you've seen. Yeah. yeah, but like it also doesn't feel as like like especially the pat the last bit where he's at the cemetery doesn't feel as like really heavy handed and really like I don't know uh, cloying. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel, like, too much. It's just enough where he is, like, it feels like a genuine, like, plea where he's just, like, like, please let me, like, change this. I'm a, I'm a changed man. Like, it's it's really great. It's I love that section. And especially in, like, other Christmas carols, like, in worser ones, it's hard to make that change feel real. Because right. obviously, like, there's, you know this concept of like, Oh, after one night of seeing all these visions, you can like change. It's obviously like so hard to convey for like a lot of actors to do. Like even in a Christmas Carol, I think my biggest problem with Jim Carrey Scrooge is that he feels constantly like he's doing a bit and there's not yeah. really that much of like that earnestness in it versus like, I truly feel like this version of Scrooge is like a changed man by the end of this when he's going around doing the thankful heart thing and he's, yeah. like, giving gifts to everybody and getting the goose and all that other stuff. Even though, once again, Michael Caine isn't the most talented dancer or singer, like, in that <laughs> bit or in um, It Feels Like Christmas. He's just doing the thing with his hands, like, <laughs> that's all he's doing. Which, to be fair, that's all he really can do with all these fucking puppets around. That's, that's all you can really move with yeah. that, like, fucking fall on four feet to your death or whatever. Another, like, thing I love about, like, that that section of, like, when he wakes up, and is like a new person is doing all these kind things that I think is the part that really makes me sob in the story the most <laughs> because like it like just the idea of like yeah the the changed man but also him like doing all of these nice things and everyone being like kind of weirded out by it and very surprised by it like it just is so I don't know it gets me really emotional but I love the when he goes to visit Bob Cratchit and he's like he's doing his like bit where he's like Bob Cratchit, you were not at work today, like that kind of thing, and like pretending to still be like, you know, the the like humbug kind of. Right, uh, and you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna raise your salary, which I love. Also, the contrast of like that's where Piggy gets to shine. Yes, where she's just like, oh, I'm gonna tell him something right now. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, that that moment is so great. It, it's one of my favorite moments in in just a Christmas Carol. It's so emotional every single time. And I love even that like all the other Muppets forms a giant brigade of people to like have this Christmas. Where, like yeah. everybody joins up with him, and like Beaker has like the little thing full of uh, like drinks that he comes in with. <laughs> um, oh, that's another such a cute moment where Beaker gives him his scarf. Oh, the scarf! Like, but we have no gift for you. And he's just like me. And then he gets. <sighs> So and Michael, adorable. and like, you know, like we're talking about Michael Caine, like selling the sort of like earnest drama of that, like that moment where he's just like, for me, like he, it feels like he's like, it's someone like the first time anyone has ever done something nice for him because he's like, you know, be Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> it's so like beautiful and like human, which, yeah, like he just sells all of those moments so well. <laughs> and I love that he's able to keep you that immersed, even for like there's one bit of this that technically kind of breaks the immersiveness of this movie where they do at the very end of it feels like Christmas where they do the big crane shot. And right. You can see the fact that like all of these buildings are Muppet sized, even though there are humans walking around. <laughs> so it feels just like, I don't know how you guys are going to get into any of these fucking doors that these Muppets are getting into. And, but at the same time, like you don't give a shit because you're that invested and, like, he's feeling the f- warmth of Christmas for the first time. Yeah. It doesn't matter that he can't fit through that fucking door where that, I don't know, pig is going to go through or whatever. <laughs> and just the, I mean, but the design, like, I mentioned earlier the design of, like, the London that they've built. And I just love how, like, angular it is and how, like, kind of, you yeah. know, it, all, all of that stuff, all the angles and everything. Like, it it has, like, just a very unique feeling, even though, yeah, there, there, there's a lot of, yeah, bits like that that I... I love. And also, shout out, along with, like, the... We've mentioned the production design being so great. The costumes in this movie oh, are right. phenomenal. And every, yeah. All, from Muppet or human, <laughs> perfect costumes for everybody. It all feels, like, of a piece. A big thing I always love in a Christmas Carol adaptation is the look of Scrooge in his pajamas is, like, mm-hmm. crucial. You gotta have, like, the little cap that he has. <laughs> yes, of and course. And then his, like... And his little robe that he has on over... His pajamas, I think, is like it's a perfect Christmas fit for him. It feels yeah. like it, it feels like an outfit that like I would want to wear on Christmas morning, when like I wake up and open presents. I want to be in that outfit. <laughs> yeah, the robe he has is like really like I want that robe. Like it's like yeah. the I don't know, it's like a reddish, like maroonish color. Maybe I love it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but and, and it works even also for like all our little Muppet characters with their little scarves and their little jackets. Yeah, hats. It works really well with all the other human characters. Like even we haven't mentioned much about Fred, uh, his nephew, uh, right, and stuff like that. But I, th- I think they even work because like those are like side characters who don't necessarily like need to fit amongst the Muppets. But that bit where like they go to Christmas present and there's just Fred's party where there are like mm-hmm. weird toad people and also like his <laughs> wife, yeah, just doing right. a, a party game. It feels like no, there's no. This is a world where Muppets just exist, and it's like fine. I mean, yeah, that's my favorite thing about all of these movies is how like no one addresses that they're Muppets, right? Like they just act like they're normal people, <laughs> which I th- it's great. It's a great sort of like just conceit of like, we're not going to address it. They're just, they live together. Like that's it. <laughs> well, you know, before we uh, sort of get to final thoughts and stuff, because we head out of here, I'm curious as someone who's a bit newer, a convert to the Muppets, this is a thing that like any Muppet fan talks about like all the time especially a modern disney era mm-hmm. where it feels like they don't know what to do with the muppets do you feel there's a place still for the muppets do you feel like they still have something to provide to the world even though they're you know not as 
prolific as they once were? Do you feel like there's do you feel like the world can still embrace the Muppets? And if so, do you have any idea of how they could possibly do that? I, I absolutely do. I, I mean, I think like as someone who has like kind of just recently sort of gotten into them and like really enjoyed like all the Muppets movies, like it kind of does make me sad that like we haven't gotten I mean, next year it'll be a decade since the last Muppet movie, which is like very upsetting because I think like it sounds very like cliche, but like I think the what the Muppets do is like they put on a show and they entertain. Yeah, I feel like Disney doesn't want to do anything with them, and it feels like that's such a thing where like you know Disney's just like oh we can't do anything kind of subversive or interesting with these characters really in the way that they want to maybe. I don't think they should be kind of updated in that modern way, right? You know what I mean? Of, like, all the fourth wall breaking and all that stuff that we kind of talk about. Like, I think the Muppets work best when they're just like this, right? It's just a straight-up, like, earnest story or earnest, like, entertainment. I would love to see them make a new Muppet movie. Like, I'm really, like, I don't know what they could do with a, with a for the plot. Like, I feel like the 2011 Muppets kind of, for better and worse, kind of, was a great way to do a legacy sequel of like the Muppets. Arguably kind of created the modern legacy sequel. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. I think it's so easy to do something like that. I think the like Muppets most wanted is kind of a cautionary tale of like how you can go too far with like celebrity cameos and just doing too much. Um, but I would love to see like a new Muppet movie and get like new like celebrities in there. Like, I don't know. I would love to see like Timothy Chalamet hanging out with, gonzo or something like i don't know give me some of that they're not like, that think... far off from each other to be fair like there was that joke that was going around when the first pictures for wonka came out the gonzo looks kind of like timothy chalamet in Actually, wonka. Does. he really does yeah i think the problem is like i don't know as much as i love the muppets in movies i kind of feel like you know if we're gonna do movies at all i think the way to go is to kind of do this thing again of like muppets in a classic story like one that mm-hmm. i constantly hear like people pitch that i'm kind of for is like Muppet Dracula, I think would be dope. Where you yes. get like a guy to play Dracula, and then you get, like some celebrity, like I don't know, like Oscar Isaac sure. plays Dracula or something. Yeah. Like and then you Why have not? the Muppets around and like this. And I think that would work for like a Disney Plus, especially because they kind of right. did that with like the Haunted Mansion special they did a couple of years ago, which was fun. I think it was like okay. a cute thing. At the same time, I think the better thing to do with them is a lot of people have said this, and I agree with it. Do like another Muppet show. Where you just right. have like episodes and you just have like a celebrity guest come on like have timmy be on that yeah Fucking have zendaya be with the muppets like come on that's like i i think you know i i don't know like if the general public would care about that but i think like it's it would be great to see like a lot of these like newer the new newer younger actors that we have like be in a muppets thing and especially because like like we were talking about with kane like i think it's really great to see actors like try to act alongside Muppets and I think it's a really great showcase for like just actors and comedians and stuff like that right though I think the danger also at the same time is like something that I think going back to the Muppets uh 2011 is kind of problem is like now you have people who are like too big a fan of the Muppets who that grew up with them and so there's that weird giddiness that they kind of have like I'm in a Muppet thing instead of like no you have to like treat this Seriously, that's kind of my problem with, like, I like Jason Siegel, but he feels just kind of like, I'm in a Muppet thing, and this is great, as opposed to, like, actually treating whatever drama of it seriously. 
Which I think Amy Adams does a better job of, honestly, in The Muppets. Yeah. Because it's just like, you can't keep hanging out with your brother. We should be in a relationship. Your brother, who's a fucking four-foot-tall Muppet. <laughs> yeah. I To be clear, I, I love Jason Segel, and I... Will, I like him generally too. I, I yeah. will not speak ill of him, <laughs> but um, no, I I know what you're saying though, and I think like, but that would be interesting to see like, well, what like celebrities who are popular now could be in a good like Muppet movie? Like that is like, it would be a fun sort of thing to see. And like, I agree with you. Like, yeah, make a Muppet show. Why not? And have them be on that because like, Lord knows Disney has like the money and the cachet to be like, hey. Tom Hiddleston come be in this since you're in Loki or something like oh, you know yeah. what yeah I mean he, he's in Muppets Most Wanted but like you know what I mean right one of 10,000 celebrity cameos in Muppets Most Wanted <laughs> yeah which again like that's kind of the the a very you know a cautionary tale of like that's how that can go too bad we're just like you blink and there's a new celebrity on screen <laughs> right like that's what like I don't want at all like I don't think it, I think it should be something like you know, even in the 2011 Muppets, like, there are a lot of celebrity cameos, but I love, like, I think Rashida Jones is so great in that movie, where she is just, has just so much contempt for the Muppets, <laughs> and, like, it's so great at performing that. Or even, in, like, in the original Muppet movie, they have celebrity cameos, but they, like, let them breathe and actually do, like, a scene. Right. Instead of, like, they're here, sh- shove them in the fucking camera, and <laughs> right, get them out right, of here right. immediately, because they have, like, five minutes to be on the set or whatever. Yeah, I think like the probably the best example for me in the Muppets is probably Jack Black. Exactly, like the, perfect. That whole bit of it just being like he's forced to be on here, right? And like especially because like you see him early on with like Animal, and you're like, oh great, Jack Black is in this, and then it's a great callback when they kidnap him. It's a very kind of delicate sort of decision of like getting like who do you like what celebrity can be in the Muppets. It's, it's a very interesting sort of process. <laughs> So I think another key is less a celebrity and more of like an actual actor. Because that was also kind of my problem with um, the the Muppets Mayhem thing. It's like their main character that they anchored it around, the human character, was that like Lily Singh. Oh, the the YouTuber? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had oh. like the weird talk show and stuff. I don't want them to have like TikTokers on, in the Muppets. Like it would be great to see kind of just like what sort of who's popular right now that we could get to be in the Muppets. Like, I don't know. You know who'd be a dream is like Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy feels perfect. Like he'd be perfect. Exactly. Right. Because he like, feels like he'd be like a silly weirdo alongside the Muppets. Yeah. It, it's that kind of yeah. thing where it's just, that sort of makes me want to get like, have a new Muppets movie. It's a trouble of like, Disney doesn't want to do anything with them because they can't be like a major franchise. Like this was right. what was going around. There was a dumb tweet that went around. Shockingly, a dumb tweet went around. What? After. On Twitter.com? No, on X. Never. Um, where someone was like, well, the Muppets can't be a major franchise like Disney wants them to, so I don't think there's really any place for them anymore, which I think is bullshit. I think it's just more problem. Like, Disney is too majorly focused on, like, it has to be a Marvel, it has to be, right. you know, something massive and major, or else it doesn't matter to us. As opposed to, like, the Muppets work so well as, like, weird, small, like, mid-budget kind of things. Like, this movie only cost about, like, $12 million to make, and, like, 92 <sighs> money. Wow. Which appears, like, 20 or so but still disney would be like that's too little right we need to have a massive extravagance honestly the thing i keep dreaming of this was like the unmade muppet thing i hope they do at some point is this movie that jerry jewel before he passed away had pitched with like jim henson before he passed away as well of like the cheapest muppet movie ever where the premise <laughs> of it was the muppets were making a movie and 
Kermit put Gonzo in charge as a producer, and he <laughs> blows the entire budget on the opening credit sequence. So That's as the great. movie goes along, it gets cheaper and cheaper. <laughs> To where, like, by the end of it, like, cardboard sets are being used and shit. That's, like, a clever fourth wall-breaking thing. Right, yeah. That sounds great. I would love to see that. I do hope the Muppets keep chugging along, if nothing else, just to keep puppetry as a thing alive. Right, yeah. Of mainstream stuff. And you just keep some of these people employed. Like, a big shout-out amongst, like, all these performers that we haven't mentioned. Dave Goals, who has played Gonzo since, like, the 70s. He's, like, the one main guy that's still around since from the Jim Henson days. Oh, cool. As long as, like, him and some of these other great performers that are still doing stuff get to be puppety and whatnot, I just I just hope that keeps going, even if it's on, you know, dumb TikToks or whatever. <laughs> as long as I get paid. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, let's uh, wrap up here. Let's do our final thoughts. Brian... Yeah, so I loved this movie. It's the last one I watched of all of these Muppet movies, and it feels like a great sort of uh, wrap-up, because I think this is the best Muppet movie that they've made. It's my favorite one. I think that a lot of that is because of just the Christmas vibe. I I love just movies set during Christmas. I love just living in, you know, as again, like you said earlier, like, as someone who grew up in Florida, like I've never seen snow, so anytime I see just like a snowy Christmas, it, it it just is so cozy and comfy. Just the idea of putting the Muppets in a Christmas Carol and telling that story, both with the silliness and goofiness of the Muppets that we all like love, but still carrying the really earnest nature of the story and telling it earnestly, telling it like you know, it's not a an edgy, subversive, like, Christmas carol or anything. It, it's this a... ain't your daddy's Christmas carol. <laughs> yeah, oh god. But just, yeah, the way that it, it is a mixture of these actors who have incredible gravitas, like Michael Caine, m- with, like, Gonzo. <laughs> the great Gonzo. And, you know... You respect his fucking title. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a really, like, beautiful movie as well, like... From, I think, the the perspective of, like, yeah, just the puppetry, just the design of all these characters, the sort of movie magic angle of it all. It, it's just such a beautiful movie. I don't know. It got me so emotional because of, it, which is weird to say, for a Muppet Christmas movie. Like, it, it feels kind of a weird thing to, to think of. But I, I just was sobbing during this thing. It, there's, it, it's a beautiful movie. I love it. It's going to be a yearly Christmas watch for me from now on. Like, I just, I love it. I'm so happy that I could make this a part of your Christmas tradition, that I can make this, like, truly, this feels like my Christmas carol story here. Brian has become, (laughs) he's a changed man. He just woke up out of his bed and said, oh, I didn't miss the recording. I I can tell Thomas. (laughs) I really, I, I mean, I am. I have, like, really fallen in love with, like, the Muppets as characters while I've been watching all of these movies. And, like, it, it, I don't know, something about, like, the Muppets, along with just Christmas, have that sort of childhood, just remind me of, like, childhood, and just that, that childhood, like, whimsy, and, like, just, I don't know, there's something about it that I just am really, I, I love it, and I just, I love the Muppets as characters. So great, that I can convert another into the Muppet cult. <laughs> 
Uh, now you can check Muppet Wiki obsessively like I did when I was younger. <laughs> like, oh, that's what that Muppet's name is? Oh, I can't believe it. Wow. That's what his name? Who performed him? Oh, wow. Jerry Nelson. That's great. <laughs> I obviously, like, I love this from childhood. And I was definitely kind of, you know, worried about, you know, w- with a lot of things from my childhood, there is like that sort of averseness to a nostalgia I have because of just our sure. modern society that gets like so obsessed with like something from my childhood is always great therefore there's no problem with it and obviously the Muppets are immune to that as I mentioned with like Muppets from space they're they're susceptible to some of that like oh this isn't aged feral necessarily but like this one and the uh, three Henson produced ones truly feel Mm -hmm. timeless yeah in a way because yeah it feels like they can really like still watch this years down the line you can show this to like younger children they would love it yeah, Christmas Carol just feels like it is also, I think, the best thing post-Henson that they did. A shame mm-hmm. that it's like the thing they literally did right after Henson. But um, yeah, it, it definitely at least proves to me that like these characters can live on past the guy who created them. Even past a couple of the great people who performed them, like with Henson and Richard Hunt. That, like these characters still have like a value and they still is like there's still something you can actually do with them that isn't, you know, just like I said, kind of putting them in a fucking closet like Disney has currently. Right. But there, there still is a lot of, like, impact them, especially, like, in this case where they're using, doing a classic story and they have, like, a great anchor with Michael Caine who treats the story, like, genuinely seriously as, like, all these antics are going on. And it just also is just a, a, a very well-made movie in general. Like, Ryan Henson, mm-hmm. like I said, just does such a great job with this. It is such a bummer. Still, I can't emphasize enough how, like, one of the most disappointing things in, in my life was the Happy Time Murders which is his most recent directorial you effort. You know, I was going to mention it earlier, and I, I, I decided against it out of respect, but yeah, that movie is awful. Fucking <laughs> I mean, like, abysmal. Truly atrocious. And it's weird. God awful. Because, like, it should be interesting, because, like, it's, you know, it's what we talked about, like, the puppetry and kind of that, that sort of angle to it. It'd be It's interesting to sort of bring that into a modern audience, but... Good lord, that movie is so unfunny and so awfully written. The end credits are like them showing you behind the scenes stuff. And that right. makes me just angrier at how terrible this fucking movie is because so <laughs> many people worked so hard to make this fucking work to yeah. any degree. And it still is like shit. Yeah. I mean, I, this is another reason why I'm glad that we're doing this because I had only seen that movie. I had seen that that movie in theaters before I ever Oof. saw any Muppet stuff, because I was just like, I'll watch, I'll watch anything that's in theaters or whatever. And yeah, I'm glad that I have now watched like Muppet Treasure Island and Christmas Carol, because I, I did not want that to be my only knowledge of Brian Henson's like directing career, because this and Treasure Island proved that he's a great director and can, can do really interesting stuff with like puppetry and, and these characters and everything yeah in all respect to him though for at least trying to keep the jim henson company alive sure doing, like, yeah whatever puppet stuff he can do even if it is fucking happy time murders jesus <laughs> christ brian but um <laughs> not this brian other brian that's where you were more offended just like that a brian would have made that that's true and his name is spelled differently than mine mine's with a y his is with an i so <laughs> true like he has the normie spelling not the cool that's true with the y yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, Muppet Christmas Carol, I think it's genuinely great. It's one of my favorite Muppet movies, one of my favorite Christmas Carol adaptations, one of my favorite Michael Caine performances. I just think, yeah, it's a phenomenal movie from, like, not just the fact that it has Muppets in it, but the way that it utilizes those characters and the way that it puts them in this incredibly immersive world, the way that, 
like I mentioned, just the filmmaking on something like the shot I mentioned a while ago, but Kermit and Robin, the way that that shot is done, like where they're walking on the street is like the background is superimposed and they're on like a little barrel that has like little snow stuff on it. So that's how they're able to like do like that. And there's somebody performing like as Kermit's legs and there's somebody doing like, you know, his face and then Kermit and then Robin as well. And that's just like, that's true movie magic shit. Mm-hmm. Like you don't really get that much anymore. Even like I said, the modern, the modern Muppet projects, that little element of like, this is before CG is a big thing. And there's still like compositing and there's green screen, but it's like all like immersed perfectly together. And just the way that everything is like backlit in a way that makes it all feel consistent, no matter how, where the character is and whatnot. It just feels like so perfectly put together in a way that, yeah, it's a true Christmas classic. And just a, a great fucking movie that makes you feel like Christmas. God. For sure. So well, on that note, let's go ahead and get into our weekly segment, Between the Lines. So Between the Lines is a segment where every episode, Brian and I recommend, you know, a film related to uh, the movie that we're talking about. You know, it could be an alternate choice for like the M for Masterpiece for Disney, or it could be just something kind of related to some degree to uh, the current movie we're talking about. And Brian, you're going first. What's your uh, pick for Between the Lines? Yeah, um, I'm going to recommend a movie that we've talked about. We, we had a conversation kind of recently where I was... I was like, I'm going to watch this movie, I think. Um, And especially with all of the kind of comic book movie and superhero talk that we did with our Guardians of the Galaxy episode a couple weeks ago, um, I decided to recommend a movie from 1991, The Rocketeer, which is a movie directed by Joe Johnston, who, of course, would go on to, you know, make a Captain America movie, one of the best Marvel movies, in my opinion. But he also made, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and Jumanji and... Jurassic Park 3, et cetera, et cetera. But what I think is so interesting about this movie, and it's a a very sort of, in a way, by the numbers, kind of origin story for a comic book hero in a lot of ways. I think it really sets the template for a lot of what Marvel kind of does in the MCU. Like, there is just, watching this, you feel so much of what they end up doing. It's, in case you don't know, it's set in... The, the 20s, I believe, or the 20s or the 30s. Um, and it is this this guy, this average guy who is working as a pilot, and he gets embroiled in this conspiracy involving Nazis and Howard Hughes and a jetpack, and he, he becomes the rocketeer. Jennifer Connelly is in it. Alan Arkin has a fantastic supporting role in this. Like, RIP. He's... Really incredible in this movie. Curmudgeon legend. Oh, yeah. Alan Arkin. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Timothy Dalton is the villain who is really great as well. A thing I think is so interesting is that Jennifer Connelly got to act with James Bond and David Bowie 
in like you know the span mm-hmm. of a few years, which is crazy. Um, and yeah, I mean, so much of the energy of modern comic book movies, I think, is in the Rocketeer. Like, I, I watched it, you know, about a week ago, and I was just like, oh my gosh, this could have been, you know, despite a lot of the visual effects being very dated. I think it could have been made today. Like there's, there's so much about it that feels very modern. Um, but with a lot of that sort of classic comic book energy in, you know, the design of everything, it's very sort of retro futuristic in a certain way. It's a very earnest story. So like, again, none of that jokiness that we get in a lot of modern comic book movies, it's just a really well-directed movie as well. Like just from the very first shot, which is like the title card and those like those like doors opening, you're yeah. just like, Oh my gosh. I'm like, you know, it's that thing that like, um, I think, I think it was Greta Gerwig recently was just like within five minutes of watching a movie. You can tell if you're watching like a, a real movie by a real director. Yeah. It's an incredibly well-directed movie. It's so fun and entertaining in a way that a lot of these movies have forgotten how to be, yeah, it's a really great movie. It's got one of the great movie posters of all time as well. Just incredible artwork. I could like, st- I'm looking at it right now. I could stare at it for like hours. Yeah, The Rocketeer. You you like this movie, right, Thomas? Hell yeah, this is a great movie. Love The Rocketeer. Yeah, it feels definitely like, it's a weird thing where I agree with you that it could be made today. It's a question of would anybody <laughs> well, actually make it today? Exactly. Because the sad thing is the, the, the closest Joe Johnson has gotten to make a movie like this again is Captain America the First Avenger. Right, which, which is like very similar to that movie in, in some ways. Yeah, the aesthetics of it and whatnot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just honestly think like this movie is nearly perfect and my only problem with it, and it's not a huge problem, everyone in the cast is so good that it makes poor Billy Campbell... <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> kind of look lesser by comparison, which no yeah. offense. I think he's decent in the moving, but at the same time, you kind of wish you would have somebody like a Bruce Campbell. Sure. Or, um, or even my pick, uh, who I think would be perfect, especially like, you know, blue collar stunt pilot guy from this time. R.I.P. Bill Paxton. I think Absolutely. Like the perfect fucking choice. Still, Billy Campbell's solid. He's, he's all right. And all, but, yeah. Right. But everything around him is still so goddamn great like some, something you didn't mention another r.i.p james horner's score for the rocketeer oh my so gosh. fucking great yeah it's like the perfect score for like this 30s kind of adventure serial kind of thing that's going for um but yeah so many great moments like i i, I can't emphasize enough how much i love the bit where like they have the fbi and the mob converging and then paul sorvino when he Hell realizes yeah. like oh wait i've been working for a nazi Look, I'm a red-blooded American. And then the mob and the FBI are shooting at Nazi Timothy Dalton. It's like, hell yeah. This is great. <laughs> yeah. It's it's great. It's a fan. Yeah, Paul Servino as well, who is, like, really great in this movie. Yes. Uh, um. Yeah, and has that sort of, like, kind of Indiana Jones type of, like, vibe to it in terms of, like, it being, like, a an adventure, a real adventure. Yes. But, yeah, it, it's a incredibly fun movie i would recommend it to anyone who is like a bit tired with you know obviously these modern comic book movies but also like i I love a classic origin story and it feels like the ones that we do get now are kind of bad and it feels like they're not really interested in doing origin stories in this kind of classical way 
because it feels like, oh, well, we know these tropes. We know all this stuff. And it's it's just great to get a movie that is so earnest about the way that it's telling the story, which, yeah, it's like, why I love that movie. It's a great movie. Which is especially interesting given it's based on, like, a comic that only came out in, like, the 80s. It's not based on, like, a classic really? comic. Right. Huh. It's, this was already, like, retro-futuristic from, like, 10 years prior when the source was right. came out. But also just a weird thing I discovered like fairly recently is there's the only sort of thing Disney has done since this came out is there's a Disney Junior cartoon that okay. like follows a little seven year old girl who's like the great granddaughter of the Cliff character who is now like the Rocketeer. Huh. Just weird. That's a thing that exists. There's that's, a Disney Junior show. Yeah, I don't know what kids are just like, yeah, The Rocketeer. Let's watch the the, the sequel TV show. Like, I don't know. I don't think... <laughs> the animated series sequel. Yeah. Weird. Well, very weird. <laughs> very weird. Well, now I'm going to go ahead and do my recommendation. You know what? This episode's coming out right before the Christmas holiday. Happy holidays to everybody. We haven't really mentioned it yet. But you know what? I am so generous and in the festive holiday spirit that i'm technically going to be recommending two things that's right oh my i'm breaking the rules uh, mainly because the two things i'm recommending aren't films as much as tv specials that are christmas themed and uh, are jim henson related productions uh, i'm going to be recommending two specials that are perfect for the holiday season especially if you haven't seen any of them um it's going to be uh the first one is Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, which was a special from 1977 uh, that is directed by Jim Henson and is an adaptation of a children's book. And basically the premise is we follow um, a f- this little family unit of a mother otter and uh, her little boy Emmett. And uh, in this uh, particular tale, uh, they are a poor family that lives in uh, this kind of like seaside town um, where they... You know, they take odd jobs in order to make ends meet, and they don't have a lot to give for Christmas. But the big thing that's going to happen is there's a big uh, talent show where the big reward is $50, which um, the mother and Emmett decide to enter because they do have hobbies as musicians. Uh, Ma can sing, and Emmett has his friend's uh, little jug band, the titular jug band. Emmett's like, oh, you know what, if I enter this then I can uh, get Ma a nice dress. And then Ma is like, oh, if I can win this, then Emmett can get his that sweet little guitar that has the pearl inlay that's in the little <sighs> shop. And it's such a cute little special that's basically just about this where it's like, oh, we have to, like, you know, they both have to sacrifice some things in order to be able to enter in and, like, to, like, potentially win the talent show. And uh, it's there's not a lot of, you know conflict beyond there's the evil group in town the uh river bottom nightmare band which is like a band that has like a bear and a lizard and a frog who are like they they're uh, the 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 rock bands that's gonna come in and like potentially like oh could they potentially win it instead of ma and emmett <laughs> and it's such a cute little special it's so sweet it's on amazon prime it's so great but then the other thing i have to recommend more muppety themed is a Muppet Family Christmas, which is a special from 1987 uh, that's one of the last Jim Henson-related things as well that he did. And basically, the premise of this is even more conflictless in terms of the huge span of Muppet stuff, where it's like, 
the Muppets are going to Fozzie's mom's house for Christmas. It's the plot. They all go over to Fozzie's, <laughs> which I love the opening of it. Like they're all gonna be like, "Oh, we're gonna surprise Fozzie's mom, who doesn't know about this, and she's all alone on Christmas." And meanwhile, she's literally like, "Oh man, I can't wait to go to California for Christmas. I'm gonna be surfing. It's gonna be great." <laughs> and then everybody comes in, um, and it's a very sweet special of just like all the Muppets hanging out. But the big reason why I would recommend this to anybody, and why it might be a bit hard to find, there's a lot of versions on YouTube as of when we're recording this. But it's a special where it's not just the Muppets, baby. Because you know who comes caroling in and starts hanging out with everybody? The Sesame Street characters. Yeah. And then, oh, you know who's uh, in the little like basement? There's a hole. And guess what? Kermit goes over into Fraggle Rock Land. <laughs> That's right. It's the biggest crossover event. Uh, truly more inspired than Avengers Endgame. The yeah. greatest crossover event. Eat shit, Russo Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This thing actually looks colorful, not gray and sludgy. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a special where like all the Muppets like hang out together. The most conflict there is, is like Miss Piggy, she's at a, like a big shoot for like, uh, you know, like a big magazine cover. Of course. Of course. Doing. Of course. Cause you know, she's the star as she we all know. and she tries to make it back over to the Fozzie's mom's house, but oh no, it's a snowstorm outside. Will she be able to get in there in time for Christmas? That's like the most conflict there is. It's very sweet. It's very once again earnest and sincere. A lot of great just like the Muppets hanging out together, especially the Sesame Street characters and the Muppet characters crossing over. There's a whole subplot where Swedish Chef is trying to make the Christmas dinner. And who's there? Big Bird. Oh no. Is he going to cook Big Bird? <laughs> Spoilers, he doesn't cook Big Bird. But... Going to cook the Big Bird. Big Bird. Big Bird. Big Bird. And that's and it's such a the way that that resolves is so sweet, so like literally Big Bird just comes over and it's just like, oh, you know, I thought because you're Swedish, you're not you don't have your family around, so I got you a present. He's like new cooking equipment. It's so sweet, and they sing chestnuts roasting on open fire. It's it's so heartwarming. Though both those specials are only about fifty minutes long each, so it that makes about a whole feature film. That's why I'm recommending them both necessarily here. Uh, but yeah, they're two of my favorite pieces of Muppet stuff in general, especially they aren't movies technically, uh, but they're two great specials, especially for the holiday seasons. They're great to like crowd around the living room with your family. Great family entertainment to watch both of those. Hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I have not dived into any of the sort of specials or any of that stuff, but I, I'm, I'm particularly kind of interested in, in those two because of like, yeah, just falling in love with the Muppets and like, I just... Yeah, I want to see more of this, like, cool, these cool characters and the, the interesting puppetry. And I'm definitely going to check out the Christmas special. That sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> Especially because I, I, I mostly grew up with, like, the Sesame Street characters, of course. So, yeah, be curious yep. to visit that. Bert and Ernie do a little performance of Twist Night Before Christmas. It's very cute. <laughs> great sounds great like i said there's a lot of different versions of that on youtube because obviously for licensing reasons that can never be released on like disney plus yeah or whatever but uh yeah let's go ahead and uh just repeat our titles for everybody out there so they can add to their watch lists and whatnot uh yes i had the 1991 joe johnston directed the rocketeer yes and for my festive holiday little double feature of tv specials i recommended emmett otter's jug band christmas and a Muppet Family Christmas. But now we're going to get to the end here, so we're going to wrap up. But we got to thank some people before we do. We get out of here, Brian. we got to thank Burial Grid for uh, the music for our show. Let's uh, purchase his music at BurialGrid.com. 
Uh, thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork. Uh, find her at MishKyle96 on Twitter. And uh, you can also, uh, we also want to thank our supporters on Patreon, patreon.com slash cinema number two letter. For just $1 a month, you all get uh, to you know vote for certain movies that we cover for uh, miniseries, at least one. You know, we like to put it in your hands to like help program our cinema to the letter season. And uh, also you get to listen to bonus content, which we've put out a lot of bonus content over the last couple months, Brian, including yeah. around this time. Yeah, you'll be able to hear um, some stuff like our top 10 Disney songs mm-hmm. podcast, which we haven't recorded yet, but it will be very curious. Any song written for a Disney movie or TV show or video game or whatever is eligible. I'll be very curious to see uh, what the two of us come up with for those lists. Um, and also, I believe around Christmas Day, um, we're going to do a little experiment where I've um, put together a YouTube playlist of random just Disney bullshit. <laughs> That Brian and I are going to watch together and make a sort of like little commentary thing. I think I'll put that out like on Christmas Day. I think it'll be like a fun little treat for all of you to have uh, while you're trying to stay away from your families after you get all your presents. You're like, fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I need to stay away from you for a bit. Um, And also, we'll definitely by around the end of the year, we'll have another review roundup like we did for November. Where we'll be talking about a lot of new releases. Your Aquaman 2s. Yeah. Kind of thing. You get all of that for $1. It really helps out. Keeps the show afloat. Keeps us, you know, moving. Please, please, a donation, sir. Please. Please, sir. I want some cheese. <laughs> to quote the mice in the Muppet Christmas Carol. We need cheeses for those Mises. Yes. Oh, my God. <sighs> but to find more of us, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter wherever it's called now, um, at Cinema Number 2 Letter on the socials. And uh, you can also find me specifically on Twitter and Letterboxes at Not The Who's Tommy. You can also do some writing on both MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and at Film-Cred.com. Yes, and you can follow me also on Twitter, still sometimes, at uh, B-R-Y-A-N-D-R-A-D-E and the number three. Uh, or you can follow me on Letterboxd, uh, where I'll... Probably have a Muppets a Muppets ranking list up. Hell yeah, uh, yeah, and also just watching watching a bunch of other movies, trying to catch up on all those twenty twenty three movies that I missed. Uh, got gotta watch Gran Turismo. Haven't I haven't haven't seen it yet. I gotta gotta see it. Wait, Gran Turismo based on a true oh, story sorry, from yes. Game of the Racer? <laughs> yeah. I thought you were just gonna watch a let's play of the video game, but now I'm I'm aware. Now you're trying to watch the <laughs> cinematic excellence from Neil Blomkamp. Um, but for more of us, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting platforms. Uh, if you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows on the network. Uh, and you can also dig into our archives and our Podbean main feed for the first two seasons of the show, the earlier episodes of this season, all the old double-edged double bill stuff, all sorts of stuff that you can listen to on there. And nothing else, if you can't, support us on the Patreon. That's cool. Money can be tight. But the free way to help us out is to rate, review, or simply share the show around to give us more visibility in the past, present, or future. <laughs> well, now, Brian, uh, we should tease that uh, coming up is our final episode of the Disney season. Yep. It's already almost over. And uh, we're going out with a very interesting one for, of course, our A for A typical choice. We're going to be doing Return to Oz, the 1985 film that is very typical in that Disney 
despite putting on Disney Plus, really wants you to forget this happened. This is <laughs> truly like an insane thing that they made. That I know you have not seen it all, right? I have not, no. Um, and I've only seen the the Wizard of Oz uh, a couple of times in my life. Um, it's become kind of a recent movie that I've been in love with, but. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious because I've I've heard a lot of things. I've seen some stuff. Um yeah, so I'm curious to visit that and I'm sure we'll talk about more uh some more of the Oz, the Ozverse, <laughs> some of the other movies and from the Wizard of Oz. Um yeah, be interesting. Yeah, especially interesting. I'll just tease here. This was definitely a movie where I loved the original Wizard of Oz as a kid and then uh my dad was like, "Oh, there's a sequel. You should watch that." And I had Nightmares. <laughs> Terrifying film. Um, that also trivia has a bit of a connection in that uh, Brian Henson does the puppetry and voice for one of the main characters in it. Oh, okay. I am thread. I'm very curious by that movie because I don't really know a lot about it. But um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be a very interesting episode for sure. Next time we'll wrap up the Disney season on that note. But until then, everybody, you know, uh, have a happy holiday. Have a safe, warm, cozy holiday by the fire. Because, you know, as little Brian observed. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> Good night, everyone.